Hello, and welcome back to Metastation for our podcast on episode 506, Exit Wounds. I am Erin. I am a professor in Mississippi. I'm Claire. I'm a writer in Portland, Oregon, and I'm back home now, finally. <laughs> <laughs> She's no longer in LA being fancy. She's back in Portland being regular. But I'm going to be with her in Portland in two days. Yes. Which is like the most exciting thing ever. We are so excited. Yes, we, um, uh, I, yeah, I'm just like, I'm in my house just waiting for an errand to arrive to bless it with her presence. <laughs> um, we're very excited. Um, yes. We so, have many plans yeah. for just hanging out and drinking alcohol <laughs> and watching TV. Um, but that does mean since I'm leaving in a couple of days and Claire's on a like crazy deadline, um, we basically don't, it means we don't have any editing time this week. So we're going to record this one and then just kind of pop it up basically as soon as we can get the most basic necessary cleanup done. Um, but we're not going to do the usual um, like editing for content kind of thing. So this is going to be going up raw uh, with all of our ums and likes and pauses and... <laughs> <laughs> ticks that you didn't know we have because normally they're cut out or reduced they're going to be right in your face this week so everybody enjoy (laughs) the number of times that i say like you know etc etc um and 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 if you you find it annoying then this is a good sort of like test case for like appreciation for our edit crew who works like so hard every single week to make our rambling sound listenable. <laughs> exactly. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I just like, normally I think that they sound so fluid and like they're so, they just, sentences just flow out and now suddenly there's a like every third word. Well, then you should just drop a line to our edit crew. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you can tweet us at Metastation, Metastation100 on Twitter and just say, I have a new respect and appreciation for edit crew. Um, because we love them very much and they have to work their butts off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to deal with our various uh, <clears throat> verbal diarrhea and tics and so on. <laughs> Such as this digression, which is not going to be going anywhere. Um, and uh, so let's get started. And we're starting with um, Dioza and Kane and McCreary and, oh my God, dog. Okay, hang on. This is a thing that everybody gets to hear that normally gets cut. I'm going to get up and let the dog out of the room so he'll stop scratching at the door. (laughs) Hank is a recurring character in many of our podcasts. You just don't know it because it usually gets cleaned up in post. (laughs) Yeah, so this is sort of like, you know, metastation. Behind the scenes. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Metastation unplugged. (laughs) Acoustic. Um, wow. It's a good thing that we picked the week where we're not editing to, to like, totally derail at the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> derailing about not editing out oh, the derailing right. is, like, a whole level. It's meta-meta-station. Uh, so, McCreary and Kane and Dioza. Um, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, I really fucking love... Like, no fucks given Kane. Like, just I love him that so scene. much. Yes. I mean, he is just, like, completely unimpressed with the whole operation. He's like, 
you can you can tell he thinks that McCreary is just like a trigger happy dumbass, which may be a miscalculation on his part. I think overall, you know, I think that might might be a product of not having a complete picture of the kind of dynamics of Elegius. But it is really fun to watch McCreary kind of like try to throw his weight around, you know, yeah. and then run smack yeah, into the brick wall of Dio's and Kane, just being like, uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I've been I. I'm really, really enjoying season five Kane and and particularly I feel like, you know, there's there's sort of there's sort of two different two different canes that we've gotten like a really detailed, kind of fully realized picture of. And one is the sort of like this Kane who is just like simmering with like urgency and emotional intensity every time he's on screen with Abby. And then there's this version of him, like the the new shade of Kane that has sort of been coming out with Dioza, I just love, and I don't know, like, it's hard to kind of pinpoint what it is, but there's, it feels like Ian is doing things that, that feel like totally fresh and new. Like, there's like, there's like a side of Kane that we genuinely haven't seen before, where it's like, we're, we're getting to see him wearing his kind of like, you know, strategic leadership hat again like he's incredibly smart you know he knows Octavia really well he knows these people and their weaknesses really well um he's still a person who's fundamentally nonviolent. so the fact that his sort of opening gambit is bribing them with vegetables is amazing um yes but it's but genius. I love but I but I agree with you I think it's genius and um but I also but I agree with you I think I think the dynamic between him and McCreary is so interesting because like, you know, the the way that he like like he doesn't even flinch, you know, like he doesn't like, you know, McCreary pulling out his gun and like threatening Dioza. Like she gets up and like gets in front of him. But like Kane just like sits there sort of quietly continuing to eat his lunch. Like he's just not phased by it at all. And that, like I I just find their dynamic so interesting. And the little like, um, you know, the the little kind of digs he gets in at Dio's, you know, the end when he's like, oh, like, do I get a shot collar too? You know, and like, just this sort of like, he's not afraid of them. And I, and I think, I do think that there's a possibility that, that could be something that backfires, particularly because as I think the, the, the hints that we got from the sort of preview from next week, it looks like Abby maybe loses a patient and that potentially her... Um, you know, her attempts to, like, solve the medical mystery and figure out how to, like, you know, cure the virus, uh, if that ends up, like, backfiring or she's not working quickly enough or successfully enough, then, like, the noose is kind of tightening around both of them, which ramps up the urgency and could make, could make no fucks giving Kane have to suddenly give some fucks. But in the meantime, I'm just really, like, just deeply enjoying this version of him This is kind of, like, sitting back there, like, munching on his salad and watching the murderers <laughs> yell at each other. It's like, I don't, like, I, like, just a sort of, like, I don't know, like, his, his, how solid he is in, or at least how solid he's able to kind of pretend to be in um, feeling like, uh, and I guess in the sort of trust that he's building with Dioza, you know, like he doesn't, he's not afraid of her. He's, he's not, 
you know, he's, I think he's got her number pretty well. He can kind of like poke at her a little bit. It's like their, their dynamic, I think is so fascinating. Um, but I'm really interested in, and when we talk about um, Murphy and Amori at the end, we can circle back to kind of some McCreary predictions for the next couple episodes. But I, something that I've been really looking forward to for the last couple episodes, and, I, and I'm waiting to see kind of how it explodes, is how this kind of simmering Dioza-McCreary rift between the two of them is going to play out, and how Kane and Abby separately or together kind of end up being factors in that. You know, I think McCreary is not wrong that that Kane is sort of exercising a power play of his own on them, even as he's also facilitating the power play against Octavia. You know, like Kane is smart enough that he actually, I think, has the capacity to be playing both sides at the same time. I think so too. And I also wonder now that um, Echo is going to be there, you know, I, I sort of she's like another wild card in that in that dynamic, and she has the the sort of the training um, and the experience as a spy, and then also as you know, like like last season we saw with Roan that she was a very acute political advisor. You know, like she was she was very very attuned to kind of like what the people of Asgata expected of Roan and what he needed to do in order to kind of like appease them, and so. Um, I do sort of wonder if, if, and, and you know, it's, it's gotten hinted at over and over again. And with, we got that kind of like big wump, you know, statement from McCreary here saying like Kane is, is causing a rift in our people, you know, so it's, it's very textual and I'm expecting that to go somewhere. And so part of me does wonder if having, uh, having Echo there, you know, um, if that, if she might wind up being a factor, you know, if she picks that up and mm-hmm. winds up trying to <clears throat> use that to leverage. Um, yeah. Dioza in some way. Like, I, I feel like that's a kind of thread that might come back. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, particularly because, like, I was I was trying really hard to parse, and I, like, watched it a couple times through. Um, there, there seemed to be a lot of kind of silent communication via eye contact happening between Echo and Kane in that final moment in the hallway. Yeah. And I couldn't um, tell if he was like trying figure to out what it was. Like, like he just like looking at her like I re- I feel like I recognize you but he couldn't remember exactly from where or Yeah, cuz I was thinking like like what's like his last memory of Echo would have been from the conclave. Presumably he knows that she went to space with them because like cuz like Octavia and Bellamy talked. So presumably like everybody in the bunker knows who all was in space. Um, so he would know that she'd been with Bellamy. So, so, so part of me was trying to figure out like, is it just kind of like, Oh, I remember you and you're shady and I am suspicious about what you're doing here. Or was it like, Oh, you're one of Bellamy's people and you're here like defecting and Bellamy's not. So I feel like there's shenanigans happening. Let's like, meet up in a dark corridor later so we can, like, debrief and hack a plan. Like, are they gonna... <laughs> and also, like, are they technically working at cross-purposes now? Yeah. So is it yeah. is an alliance maybe not possible? Yeah, you know, like he's... Yeah, because he's, like, at least nominally on Dioza's side. You know, he's working right. for her. That's how he is securing his safety and Abby's to some extent. Um, and, and sort of securing his, his ability to stay with Abby. And so... So if I, if Echo rolls in and is like, yo, I'm just going to, like, 
disable everything. I'm, I'm going to take down the eye in the sky, which is like the leverage that he has. Like she's actually a huge threat to Kane because he needs to be able to see what's down there. Like that's how he, you know, we saw like the intel that he's giving her is, is about, you know, what he knows about Octavia, but it's also partly about his ability to sort of like read or interpret Octavia's actions. Um, like we see when, when they're watching on the monitors and, and Octavia is burning the food and he said, this is theater, you know, like she's doing this to sort of, um, to kind of like send a message to her people. So if he doesn't have that access, if he can't see what's happening, then suddenly his, his value to Dioza is diminished considerably. Like all he can give her is information that he already knows that he probably has already given her. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I think it's also very possible that Kane is like, shit, you know, <laughs> like, the she's a problem for him. And in th- for that matter, I'm like, uh, Raven and Shaw might be too. Yeah, well, that's, I was wondering about that too, because so, so like, Echo, I mean, Echo, presumably, like her, her thing in the next episode is going to be fine, you know, finding some way to kind of like, um, sneak this information to Raven, and uh, and yeah, and I'm assuming that like Shaw is is Shaw also is gonna think that disabling the eye is a good idea. I, mm-hmm. I suspect you know, like yeah. he's gonna yeah. he's gonna if be on. They can't on, see. Uh, yeah, they that. can't yeah. force him to fire a missile at them. Exactly. You know, so that, yeah, yeah, that and he can also yeah, and he can he can waste a lot of time trying to figure out how to magically fix it and like stall a little like it's good yeah. you know it's a good mm-hmm. sort of like buying them some time to think of another plan you know kind of kind of gambit um but it 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 puts it puts Kane and Abby in a really desperate position and one of the things that I that I think hasn't been clear that I'm going to be really interested in you know in the next episode of how we see this play out is um you know is what what this sort of like two different groups of of Eligius prisoners know about each other, you know, like like when like do they do Kane and Abby know that Murphy escaped, and um and does Raven know what the conditions are on Kane and Abby's survival, you know, like how like because they're they're probably not like Raven's like a prisoner prisoner, you know, and and Kane and Abby are more like you know, graciously well-treated royal hostages kind of thing. You know? um, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, so I just wonder, like, you know, with, with all of these characters who, who now have sort of, like, on a macro level, the share, the same shared goal, which is that, like, nobody wants a war, but, but coming at it from different perspectives where, like, you know, Echo is trying to, um, help Octavia defeat Eligius and take over the valley for one crew for herself, whereas Kane is still trying to, and Abby are trying to find a way for like everyone to kind of live together. Because, and I was actually glad that Dioza said this, like that it was addressed. Like the problem is not the problem is not that Shallow Valley doesn't actually physically have enough room to support everybody because it seems like it actually does like she says like we like we have food and we have shelter to accommodate everyone like neither of these groups is so huge that that any one of them would like deplete the resources so it's like the the war aspect of it is purely 
feels like it's coming from a place of territorialism. Like it isn't practical. It isn't like it isn't like Pike wiping out the village um, because. Arcadia had no arable land and he was like, there's grounders sitting on land that we could use for farming. We'll die if we don't get it. Like it feels, it feels in some way like, and maybe it'll be unpacked more thoroughly at some point in terms of like the kind of agricultural aspect of it. But like, like we know that Polis has no, like has no land that they can grow food on. And we know that the farm is like kind of on its last legs. And so it's, it's, felt from what Dioza was saying, you know, that basically anybody who wanted to sort of defect from Polis, they have room for. So it's, so what I wonder is just sort of like how, are we going to get a chance to dig into the fact that like, part of what this is exploring is that this idea that war is necessary, this idea that it can only be one or the other, is like actually an entirely artificial ego-created construct by these yeah, leaders, and not a practical say, reality. Yeah, like the actual, the actual, like the war is happening, basically because of Octavia, right? You know, because because Octavia wants Eden to be hers, like it belongs to one crew. And, and she's not willing to be like, well, we'll be over here and you'll be over there and you can be you and we can be us. You know, it's like you are one crew or you are the enemy of one crew. So like either they assimilate or she eliminates them and they're not going to assimilate. Um, and, 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 you know, so like, but there's also the compounded issue of Dioza is not willing to submit to Octavia's authority. Um, you know, Dioza's not willing to say, like, all right, you know, whatever. Okay, cool. Like, you're in charge, whatever. You know, so it, it is, it does ultimately, it kind of, like, it's really, like, a, a war over hegemony, you know, over power. Right, right, yeah. Um, ma- sort of masquerading as a war for resources. It is a war for resources, of course, right. in some ways. But it doesn't have to be a war about exactly. resources. It's really, like, the one resource that is a zero sum game that can only be held by one group or person is the kind of like hegemonic control <laughs> over the space right. and the culture, you know? Right. And it's like, that's what, that's what I think is so interesting is it's like in, you know, in a way that I, that I genuinely think was not true when we got the same kind of territorial dispute stuff in season three, even though like, like as we talked about before, like it, it, it could have done with being fleshed out, more textually earlier in the story, but like, That's an but it made, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, um, but it made sense why, like I, you know, Pike, Pike being an earth skills teacher who knows things about agriculture that the other characters didn't know, um, it made sense why he and Farm Station were kind of like looking at, like the, the lens that he had on the problem made sense. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think, uh, and, and so the choices that he made, like, however, like, however you felt them sort of like morally and ethically, the choices that he made stemmed from like, like they were consistent with his lens on the world, which is sort of looking at like, you know, like the, the, the sheer sort of population mathematics of survivability and, you know, and how long crop cycles take to turn over and how many people versus how many square feet of land and things like that, um, and and so I just I think it's really interesting that like um, 
that here, like in this version of it, like all of that is an abstraction, you know, like there's like there's enough food in Eden for them to be able to dump like 14 giant ass crates of produce in Polis and let Octavia, like, like, so part of what I think is so, is so, um, is so sort of nifty and, and clever about Kane's gambit is like showing, like showing these people who are, who are both starving and who have been living in this like incredibly traumatic, um, ruthless kind of like under-resourced, community for so long that that shallow valley has so much bounty that they can waste it you know like like the the kind of the symbolism of that i think is really um it was really clever as sort of like a political ploy and it also i think is a is a um as kind of like a metaphor for like the you know like sort of the bounty of eden i think it works really nicely but it is also a really good reminder that like in from everything we've seen in any kind of like practical terms, there's no limit on the number of the people who are currently alive on earth who could live there. You know, like when, when during the, the tequila scene, in the last episode, um, you know, Dios is like standing by this river and she's like looking out over like green tree covered hills and mountains. Like there's, there's more land than just this tiny little village. Like it goes on, the forest kind of goes on beyond that. Um, so, so like anytime we get these sort of reminders that the, the idea that we're fighting over, the last slice of survivable land because only one of these two groups can have it. Like that, that is another one of these sort of myths that I think this season of interrogating myths is interrogating. Like there isn't any reason for a, my people versus your people division here. There's totally like, there's room for everyone to be like, they could have like, have like two different villages that are like across the stream from each other. And like, Dios has got her people and, Octavia has her people and like whatever. And then sometimes they crossbreed for like whatever. Fine. Fine. You know, like there's no reason not to. Um, yeah, no. And, and I think it also shows, I mean, it does also like enough, a sort of nifty little bit of work showing to us, the audience, as well as to one crew, you know, sort of within the story that, that Octavia is willing to choose. Octavia will protect her position as Bloodraina and she will, defend the sort of um <laughs> I don't know about integrity is the wrong word she will defend the cohesion of one crew as a unit as it has been at the expense of the physical well-being of her people like you need food they need food she will destroy food in the name right. of keeping everyone together. And that's sort and, of like, and that's, and that's something that like was necessary within the bunker, but it's sort of, you know, it's also kind of interesting. I think, I think one thing that this episode does in the, and what we've been talking about kind of all in different ways shows it. Um, like one thing this episode does that's so interesting and, and, and really deft and very subtle and something that I didn't really like completely catch the first time through. Cause I was just trying to follow the plot is the way is a very, it, it shows all of these loyalties that at the beginning of the season seemed very set. And it kind of like shows us them beginning to shuffle and move around and change and crack. 
um, as the context of these different worlds sort of collide. So like when they were in the bunker, Bloodraina was arguably necessary and kind of like convincing everyone of this, of the, you know, getting everyone to drink the Kool-Aid of we are one crew. And if you're not, you know, if you don't conform, if you don't follow these rules, you are an enemy of one crew because your behavior is a threat to everybody's lives. Within the context of the bunker, that was true. As soon as that door opened, that stopped being true. And so we have this kind of like dissonance between um, the people who still believe that mythology to be absolutely sort of like fundamental truth of the universe, including Octavia, who's trying really, you know, she is like doing everything that she can to sort of like maintain that versus the people who sort of recognize both people, both members of one crew and then other people who recognize now that we're out and there are options that all that stuff about we are one crew, you're one crew, your enemy, you know, like you either conform or we all die. That's not the case anymore. There are other options. It's possible to get out. It's possible to go be somewhere else and be okay and not actually take away from the group. Um, so there's that kind of like shuffling and, and dissonance on a big scale. I think also with um, Kane and Abby, you know, that's interesting there because we see sort of like when we started, um, you know, like Kane was kind of the one voice of dissent in the bunker. He was like the one person in the bunker that we saw that was that was really stepping out of line. Abby was still, I mean, like Abby was stealing medicine because of her addiction, but she wasn't, she, she still believed in Octavia. You know, she was the one who was like, we did what we had to do. Like Kane was the one who was questioning things. Um, so already Kane and Abby have flipped over, you know, like their loyalties have sort of realigned to Dioza. Um, but then now we have this sort of like, I, I think they're sort of playing off of like, you know, all through all the show, or at least through season three and, and definitely in season four, we assume Kane and Abby are on this, are on, you know, like Raven's side and Bellamy's side. Like they're all on the same side. They're all, you know, Sky Crew. They're all, and now that's not true anymore. Like Kane and Echo kneeling next to each other, they aren't necessarily allies and they don't necessarily want the same thing. So that's a kind of a shuffle around. And then the same thing, you know, with like the Blake siblings, there's a kind of that sort of like, just, you know, that sort of um, dislocation or dissonance um, where, you know, where they each are assuming that the other has the same, is the same person has the same loyalties. But, you know, Octavia's loyalties are not, are, are to one crew over Bellamy and Bellamy's loyalties, you see, are like to space crew and to Echo over Octavia. Um, you know, like, Clark's are to Maddie. So there's like, this is really, I think, an episode where we see all this like reshuffling and all sorts of different ways. Like the, 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 the cracks that were sort of like tiny little things when everything was under pressure, you know, when like, when, when these worlds were small, when it was just Bunker Crew underground and it was just Maddie and Octavia, or excuse me, Maddie and Clark. And when it was just, you know, um, space crew on the ring, all those little cracks could kind of hold together. But as soon as this world has opened up, they start to shatter. And I think they, they did a really, really nice job of kind of like poking at these little things and, and, and watching the characters kind of run smack up against these fissures where they didn't know they existed. You know, we get to see the kind of like stumble over them unexpectedly. Yeah. I think that, I think there, there was a lot of, um, one, one of the places I think just sort of throughout this whole episode, um, where, you know, there was a lot of moments where I felt like both for the characters and for sort of us, the audience, you kind of got the rug pulled out from under you by sort of crashing into 
moments where you realized that what we had where we had sort of expected those lines to be drawn was not where they were drawn. And Nyla, yeah. I think, was the most kind yes. of shocking example yes. for me. Um, just sort of in in terms of like you know like it, it, the magnitude of my wrongness about my projections <laughs> about how how the six years would have changed Nyla versus Gaia. Yeah, um, and as we've said you know, before, we love being wrong. Like that was oh that my was god, awesome. that was wonderful. That was it. That was a. I was like, oh my god, I am. I lo- like I love getting blindsided by something like that. Oh, but it's yeah. the same thing. But like that's you know like the position that Clark is in. With, like, you know, Clark having, like, the same set of expectations that we would have that, you know, like, Nyla is her friend. Nyla is a fundamentally peaceful and gentle person. Nyla has never not been on um, on Clark's side. She's pretty clear-sighted about people's motivations, so it seems like she would be a person who would, you know, follow Octavia but not follow her blindly, whereas we know of Gaia and Gaia's sort of fanaticism and, and everything we've seen of how deeply... Um, tied to her own sort of spirituality and cultural beliefs, her loyalty to Blood Reina is, you know, like the the flip between what you think is happening when you watch Gaia chloroform Nyla and drag her inside yeah. <laughs> versus what you realize one commercial break later was actually happening. You're like, oh, fuck. And so I think that's one of those, like, that's like a perfect example of what you were saying about the sort of, um, you know, one thing I think that the show is doing really, really well in this season um, in terms of, like, reminding you, like, just how big a chunk of these people's lives six years is, is placing you in a position where you, the viewer, and some particular character are kind of operating based off of an unspoken assumption about who somebody is, and then, um, and then not, and then, like, the kind of, the collision and how and how dangerous that can be when you realize that that person isn't that person anymore. You know, I think yes, I think yes. it's it's most directly kind of um I think the kind of the peak moment of that in this episode of course I think is the Blakes, but I think it happens like 50 other times, you know. Yeah, no, I mean like that was like such a of all the things that we speculated about Nyla even even in the last podcast about like is she going to be, like, against, you know, oh, is she going to be the one who's going right, to be, right. like, let me tell you the terrible story. I did not expect her to roll up in Clark's tent and say to Clark about Octavia, how do you explain the sun to someone who's never seen it? Which is, like, so freaking creepy. Like, that oh, was, like, yeah. she's in the light and I was, like, the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> who is yeah. this? But, like, and it, I, you know, it was amazing, too, because, like, like, you know, going back and watching it again, knowing, you know, knowing what's what's going to happen and knowing what Nyla's actual motives are, it's, like, so much creepier because you realize, like, Nyla, like you were saying, like, Nyla's, like, always been Clark's friend, you know, kind of always been on her side, always been empathetic and a good listener and very, like, trustworthy. And, she, and like, Nyla knows that, you know, like, she is going in there and, like, using all of those, you know, sort of the, the relationship that Clark would remember having with her. Um, and all of those kind of like skills that she has to manipulate Clark into giving up information. And it's just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean, like that was, you know, and it's the funny thing is like, that makes me so much more afraid of Octavia, frankly, you know, like, oh, Blood yeah, Raina, you know, like that, that Blood Raina has this power to take people like Nyla, who are like, you know, I think fundamentally good people and, and sort of get them to do things like that. Um, is just 
you know, and, and I felt so sad for Clark. Like, I know. Oh my God. Like, because how, how isolating it must be to realize that like anyone that she could, that she once thought that she could trust could secretly be like under Octavia's power like this. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Clark in this episode just broke my heart over and over again because you can see her, you know, not just her sort of increasing panic and fear about all of the threats to Maddie surrounding her, but you can also see her sort of feeling more and more alone, you know? And I think this is kind of the episode where, like, she says, like, everything is so different. You can see that, you know, it was, it was one thing when she was just with, Bellamy, you know, like it was, she was just like, okay, Bellamy's back, like we're partners. But as soon, and even then, like, in, you know, in the last episode, we kind of saw like she's feeling him out. She's aware that he's very different. But I think as soon as Space Crew showed up, you know, it kind of like, and, and the shorthand for that, of course, is her seeing Bellamy with Echo. But I think, um, uh, but I think like that is also kind of a sense of like her realizing like these people, I've been waiting for my friends to come back, but my friends aren't my friends anymore. You know, like they're totally different people. They have relationships with each other that have nothing to do with me, you know, that formed on, on the assumption that she was dead. Um, you know, they have different priorities, you know, like they, they don't, something they don't care about Maddie, but they don't care about Maddie, you know, like Maddie is not their priority. And like Maddie's the only person whose priority is Maddie is her. Um, and so you can kind of see, and then, you know, Nyla comes in and she's like, here's an old friend she can kind of connect with. And then she realizes this friend isn't a friend. And this sort of a slow sense of, of Clark feeling more and more like, you know, people are back. It's not just her and Maddie anymore, but she doesn't, it's almost like she has less of a place in this world than she did when she was alone. You know, like she's, she's just like sort of, you can see her sort of like closing up and closing down. And as she panics more and more, which is also just like, Kudos to Eliza Taylor, like the way that she's able to sort of like convey that palpable fear and that palpable sense of like sort of isolation and um, loneliness, I think just through like her physicality, you know, it's like just through the way that her body sort of like she like closes in on herself and her body becomes so tense um, is just like so impressive, but also just like really, really freaking heartbreaking. And, And like that was the scene, I think. I mean, that's the point where it kind of turn, it really turns to that sort of really dark side. But, um, but that, that was the scene where I kind of was like, my heart maybe broke the most for Clark. Well, oh, I don't know. it was, my, there, there was a lot, there was a, there was a, a lot, lot of, of, there's a lot of Clark heartbreak. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it is, and it really is interesting, like the, um, you know, the, the places where, like you said, like where we're, where we're kind of getting a light shown on um, the shift in, you know, and those loyalties and priorities. Like there's, you know, there's, I think there's like at least two different moments where, you know, where Clark and Bellamy have a moment alone together and he tries to like talk to her about Octavia and then a Maddie thing happens and she has to bolt, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and so it's like, so for, so like, so for both of them, it's like, you know, he like, he wants to be able to kind of like unpack all of his complicated sister feelings with Clark. And Clark is like, I can't be the person for you right now. Like I have to go like save Maddie, like from your crazy ass sister. And then, (laughs) you know, and then I think on, you know, on her side, she feels like, um, you know, she is the only person like she's in this incredibly perilous situation 
like where the danger is not just to her, but sort of targeted to Maddie specifically. And she doesn't have any help in like managing that situation. You know, like when she, like the moment where she tells Bellamy, like, you know, Dio's is least of my priorities. Part of me, it's like, it's like, you can see both sides, but you can see what Bellamy is like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah, how? Yeah. Why? She has missiles. How is she least of your But also from Clark's point of view, where it's like, yeah, like Dioza, Dioza, Clark thinks she can negotiate with. Like, Dio and Octavia, she can't. And Maddie is like, Maddie is no threat to Dioza as long as she doesn't get into her way. And. You know, and so, like, there is, like, there's every possibility that if Maddie just, like, showed back up and found Abby, like Clark told her to, that Maddie would probably be okay without Clark, but here she's not. So it's, like, you can see from both of their point of views, like, like, exactly why they believe, you know, like, why, why Bellamy is so scared of Dioza and thinks she needs to be stopped, and why Clark is so scared of Octavia and thinks Octavia needs to be stopped, and... You know, and so you can see both from both of them, like exactly why they believe what they believe and that they're not wrong, but also why it must be so frustrating to feel like the other person is just like not their person right now, like not on their side. Not on their side. Well, and I think, I mean, the interesting thing about me, to me about Bellamy in this episode too, is that, I mean, we see Bellamy kind of making deals with the devil for space crew Um, as much as anybody, you know, as much as Clark is making sort of deals for Maddie or anybody else, you know, in that scene with Monty, um, where Monty, where, you know, where Monty's like trying to figure out how to work this thing that he can do, you know, with the, um, with the eye in the sky, um, you know, and Monty's kind of like pushing back against Bellamy and saying like, why does it have to be like, maybe, maybe if it has to be war, then we don't deserve this. You know, like, why are we like, why, why are you Bellamy approving of Echo going out there and turning in innocent people, you know, like spying for Octavia, who they know is dangerous, who God only knows what they're going to do to these people. Um, You know, like, why are you agreeing to do this thing that you know is wrong? And Bellamy is like, because it will get us back to Amori and Murphy and Raven who are in danger and we'll get there with Echo. Like Bellamy is only thinking about, this is the thing that I have to do to keep my family, you know, like his unit space crew together. And he's sort of, you can already see him, you know, sort of being willing to sacrifice these other questions, you know, like being willing to be like, well, whatever Octavia does with those people, I guess she does, you know, like I can't worry about that because I have to worry about my people, you know, and Monty's the only one who's being like, dude, (laughs) You know, like, are we are we really already here again? Like, we've only been on the ground for a couple of days and we're already making these compromises. Um, you know, and so and so so for Bellamy and Clark, I think, you know, we get to that final scene and there's a kind of, you know, they they sort of have to run up once again that moment of, you know, of Bellamy just assumes like, oh, hey, Clark, let's go inside the bunker. You know, like he just assumes that she's she's going to be around, you know, and and she just assumes that he's going to be on her side. They kind of run into this thing where it's like the best thing for Bellamy, the best thing for, for his set of people that he's worried about space crew is that they make a deal with Octavia, you know, and undermine Dioza. And Clark is like, the best thing for me and my person is that we undermine Octavia and make a deal with Dioza. And so they're, neither of them are really like, you know, it's interesting because like, you know, the, the, the clash is about, and this is of course like unsurprising because this is what, 
Jason and everyone said about the season before it started <laughs> is that, you know, the issue is that like you have, you know, Bellamy and Clark are sort of their like primary loyalties now are two different sets of people. And so, you know, so the choices that they're making are sort of informed by what's best for that group. And here we have our first, our first little like sort of run in with like, well, what happens, you know, and what's best for space crew isn't best for Maddie. And what's best for Maddie isn't best for space crew. Um, and, you know, and it sort of gets, we don't have to, we don't wind up lingering with it very long because Maddie disappears. And then like, I do enjoy, <laughs> obviously I do enjoy that like Clark goes from like yelling at Bellamy about how he doesn't understand to being like, we have to find Maddie. Come on, Bellamy. In like 0.5 seconds. She's like, as soon as Maddie's gone, she's like, we have to find her. And Bellamy's like, oh yeah, obviously, you know, like we were fighting. A yeah. ago, but like, <laughs> Of course I will help you find your murder child. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> um, so they like, they still have that sort of like automatic um, partnership thing click in, but we're sort of seeing, we're like seeing the ways that like the cogs, you know, are not aligning. They're not lining up, you know, like the machine is kind of like grinding and getting stuck and, and, and they're, they're all kind of like taken aback by it in different moments. Yeah. And that they have like, there's, there's still all kinds of moments where people can have sort of truces across these different lines while still knowing that like, um, that like on a, on a deeper level that it is, that they're maybe not as, um, like they're they're like aligned in like from moment to moment on like on the micro level and not at the macro level. Like like you know of course it's like a kid is missing. I'll go look for her. Um, and you know and he probably has the same reservations that you know that Clark does about like an innocent kid ending up <laughs> a pawn in Octavia's yeah, right. like, Octavia scheme. <laughs> you know, but he's not going to stay behind to look for her. You know, like he he's not going to like like shift his plan. You know, so so I think that's like, um, and I and I think you know we see it like. We see it on so many different kind of, so many different vectors, you know, of the episode. Like something that that Sam said in her Telltale review that I thought like sort of got at it really nicely is sort of the idea that um, that everybody in like in this whole kind of story is is fighting for like a a person or people that it's like their family unit, except for. Um, Octavia and Dioza who are the only people left that are kind of fighting for like big picture abstractions and Octavia much more than Dioza is like everyone else is like Kate, Kate and Abby have each other Clark and Maddie have each other space crew has space crew so everyone else has kind of whittled down these big my people your people ideological things to like who is my family like who are who are the people that I am like fighting to protect because I love them. And it's like relationship driven. And whereas Octavia's willingness to shoot those people for defecting, partly to move some chess pieces around and create a particular impression with Octavia. And also partly because they're traitors who deserve to be executed, you know, the same way that she's willing to burn their food. It's like the individual humans, like as, as either as bodies or as, human consciousnesses of one crew aren't her family. They don't matter to her Mm -hmm. in the same way. You know, they're, they're the mechanism by which she obtained and is holding on to power, but they're not people. They're not her family. They're not, she doesn't even have the kind of like sort of, you know, benevolent paternalistic, like, 
leader thing where it's like, I care about all of you as like my children because I am your leader and that's what gives my life meaning. Like there's, there's the kind of leader that she is. It's like individually, none of them matter to her, you know, except like the handful that she has a relationship with. And she's the only person left in the whole story who's, who's fighting on that kind of outdated model of what my people, your people mean. I think that's a fascinating shift because boiling everyone else's groups down into these like small units that aren't the same, you know, like it's not like in the first season where you had like, you know, conflict and tension, um, like amongst the groups, but overall it was like, you know, delinquents versus grounders. You know, like there was like there was a clear line. There was like good guys and bad guys. There's us versus them. There's like you know, and and whatever you know, beef went down between like you know, like Bellamy and Murphy, for example. Still, there was like those lines were really clear, and I think the kind of gradual blurring of them overall, like over five seasons, you know, has been really interesting and worked really well. But it's so like the way it's utilized here, kind of all throughout this season, but in this episode, I thought it was done really nicely, just as a reminder of like proportionately how much bigger a chunk of their lives the past six years have been than the time that they all spent together. Like it's, you know, it's just for us, like we've spent the most time with these people in the groups that we saw them in. Like, you know, we've lived for five seasons with these people as each other's people. And, and, and now that whole, like the Blakes, like we've, you know, we've, we've lived five seasons of the show knowing that like Bellamy and Octavia, no matter how big their like conflict and contention is, are like the, you know, hugely important, like, unignorably significant forces in each other's lives. And now they're, like, diametrically opposed because those six years completely reshuffled, like, where not just, like, who they are as people, but who they make those choices for. So it was really fascinating watching, like, watching Bellamy say, like, you know, please don't do this thing because if you do, I'm going to have to choose another person over you. Like, I don't want to do that, but I'm going to. You know, like, that's a completely new color on Bellamy Blake. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you can see that Octavia was, like, really kind of stunned by that. You know, like, on, I think yes. on, on both both as sister, sister and as Bloodraina, you know, like, she she's never had Bellamy choose someone else over her. And she is not, you know, she's not used to people defying her as Bloodraina. And so, like, this is, like, a really, you know, this is <laughs> this is kind of, like, a stunning moment for her. Um, yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about Gaia? We sort of started on her a little while back and then, um, derailed. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm really, really interested to get more of Gaia's backstory, you know, because it's so interesting oh my that, God, she, yeah. that she sort of, she created Blood Reina, you know, like in, and we saw in, in 502, like in a lot of ways, she literally created Blood Reina, like the, the makeup, like that was those there's all sort of like iconography and stagecraft that she had um sort of created and we see that she has taken charge of kind of new like theology of uh of blood rain or whatever that is um you know so it was like a little bit surprising to discover that she's been kind of like no pun intended carrying a torch <laughs> Uh, right <laughs> for uh the fl- carrying the flame as it were um <laughs> uh for for the old ways you know and i sort of wonder how much of it was just a kind of you know 
a kind of survival thing, but but not like physical survival. And it sort of she never expected to have another true night blood, right? You know, it was sort of like something that was dormant that she had set aside because it seemed to her that the signs that she was given shown that that time, you know, showed that the time was over. But then as soon as this sort of new opportunity presents itself in the form of Maddie, um, whom she's like clearly sussed out from the beginning, like, you know, it's, it's interesting to learn from, learn so much about Gaia in these couple of episodes that how big a part of her, her faith and her religion and herself is about sort of like reading signs, you know, like sort of reading these portents that are given to her. So like she accepted Octavia as, you know, as blood Raina and she kind of, because she saw in, in, in that Octavia that kind of, you know, went down that hallway, cutting people down and sort of forged this unity. She saw the sort of spirits of the commanders saying like, we have chosen this red blooded girl, you know, flame or no flame. This is our choice. You know, and so it's interesting to kind of have that almost called back again when she says to Clark, like, the last true Nightblood shows up two days after we opened, you know, that bunker. That's not a coincidence. Like, she, you know, she she reads things as meaningful rather than coincidental. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to see how much, how how kind of foundational a part of her faith that seems to be. And it's. It's interesting and it's also sort of one of those things where it's like it's it's kind of dangerous, you know, like her her need for the world to be meaningful, for events to be meaningful, kind of like creates these things. She created Bloodrena. That that kind of like that way of looking at the world, looking around her, things that, you know, reading things that happened as having sort of transcendent meaning that has to be interpreted. Um in a in a kind of in a direct way, created Blood Raina, and now is is in another way, like potentially creating another crisis. Yeah, well, because that, that's because I think what we saw, you know, we saw her before, um, you know, in in five hundred two, like you said, like when when she sort of in, when she invents Blood Raina, you know, we see how how quickly she has the ability to kind of. Um, adapt like that 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 level of like sort of genuine fanaticism you know the the um the depth to which she sort of believes these things are true and is willing to kind of like retcon the facts to fit things she already believes well and shape the world to match the truth that she intuits exactly yeah like she um she decides that she's totally willing to um you know, discard this whole, like, I'll never follow a red-blooded commander thing. Um, because, like, once she's convinced that, like, Octavia is the sort of, like, you know, anointed by God leader who's going to get them out of the bunker, and she does. Like, she is, like, like I think Gaia feels like, the you know, the bunker being opened by Blood Reina's brother during Blood Reina's reign and her being the person who leads them all out of there, it's like, check fulfillment of prophecy. Like, right, I'm exactly, right. Exactly. I'm very like, good like, at my job. This is, you know? this is the close of Blood Reina's purpose, you know? Like, she, her purpose right, exactly, was to yeah. like, get them through the bunker and get them out, and she did. And the fact that a, that a true Nightblood child shows up as soon as that happens to Gaia, I mean, and very, like, if you, if you... If that's the way you interpret the world, then that makes perfect sense. 
if that's your perspective, if that's the way that you understand how the world works, if that's how you read, you know, if that's how you sort of like think about the things that happen around you, then like that is absolutely logical, you know? Um, but it, but again, it does, you know, it does pose its own kind of danger because that sort of faith ha- has a way of making itself, you know, it's like, it, it is a, it's like self-fulfilling prophecy, you know? Yeah. Like she, yeah. she sees a prophecy and then she sees it as her job to make sure that that prophecy comes to pass. Um, in an interesting way where I don't think that she, you know, she doesn't perceive herself as creating this, right? Like I think she perceives herself as following a path. And if things turn out the way that she expects them, that means that she was on the right path rather than meaning that she created that path. You know what I mean? Like there's this interesting kind of way where like she's, she's kind of doing it or at least contributing to it, but she, but that's not the way that she perceives causality. Um, so, uh, but yeah, but I just, and, and the sort of glimpse that we got of next week, you know, where they keep mentioning the training, you know, that, that, that Gaia has kind of recreated a sort of airsats commander type situation down there where apparently like she's, she's found a way to pick novitiates on a different right, basis. so more than one kid. Like we were talking about this before. Yeah, like there's, yeah. there's, it's not just Ethan. There's more than one, right? And like, so, so it's kind of, it's like the same structure, but like the the principle of choice is no longer Nightblood, or it wasn't. It was something else, some other way, or maybe it's all the kids. I don't know. Um, so, uh, so like she's kind of recreated, you know, like this little night Nightblood novitiate thing. Um, that Maddie's being thrown into, which feels to me like we're headed towards a conclave. Oh yeah, I think so. I I really feel like um, I think I mean <laughs> I have extremely mixed slash well actually not even mixed wholly negative feelings <laughs> about the idea of Maddie in Octavia's clutches and what Octavia could possibly be up to. Um, and and the kind of sinister, creepy niceness of Octavia at that, like towards the end of that of the episode. I think that's the open question. So, like Gaia, obviously, is a true believer. I think that I my, my my hunch is that Gaia thinks that this you know this true Nightblood girl shows up if she holds the Conclave, that true commander will win, right? Like. She has a nightblood. Yes, yeah. It's it was foretold, you know, like just hold the the conclave and then that and then Maddie will win and then like sort of the 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 true um leadership grounder leadership will be restored, right? There's kind of this like blood reina interregnum and then we were and then the restoration of the commanders. Um and and there's at least one uh you know, wrinkle in that, which is that Maddie does not want to be commander, you know, and she's like, she said, she told Octavia she doesn't want to be commander, you know, like her whole life, even before she met Clark was built around (laughs) avoiding becoming commander, like avoiding exactly the situation being thrown with a bunch of other kids. Um, So, so I think, you know, there's, there's a kind of internal resistance from Maddie, which I think I get the feeling that, that probably, you know, because, because, 
you know, Octavia says very pointedly, don't worry, I won't make her because, you know, like I, Clark's like, you, you can't, I won't let you force her to become commander. And Octavia's like, oh, don't worry, I won't force, no one's going to force her. But just kind of like, well, they won't force her, but they're, I could see Gaia trying to convince her, you know, like trying to like win her over. So there's an internal sort of resistance from Maddie, which could be very da- dangerous to Maddie. But I think the big question mark, the thing that we don't know now, and I think was very, very deliberately left um, ambiguous and with a lot of clues on either side is which side of this is Octavia on? So like, does Octavia see Maddie as a threat to her power? And therefore is she deliberately putting Maddie in danger? Um, either hoping that she will, if there's a conclave, she will lose or more in a more sinister way, rigging it so that she loses. I don't think Octavia would rig it so that Maddie loses, but I think Cooper would definitely rig, try to rig a conclave. So that Maddie lost to make sure that Octavia oh yeah holds to up. make sure that the kid that's in power like the make sure whoever wins is somebody that like they've brought up in their belief system exactly like, exactly who believes things they believe who is going to essentially like replicate the 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 way of being and the beliefs and practices that they spent six years yes. adopting which means that it has to be Ethan which it makes sense because Cooper was never you know she was Sky Crew she wasn't a grounder so she. Doesn't give a shit about the commanders. She doesn't want commanders. You know, like, she was never part of that, you know, that sort of hierarchy. So she wants to keep it on the thing. Um, so, so is, is Octavia sort of on that side? Is she, is she trying to keep, you know, is she sort of like being nice to Maddie and sort of being, acting in that way and on the principle of keep your enemies close, you know? Or is Octavia genuinely sort of like, have empathy for Matt's like see herself in Maddie. Does she genuinely think that she's doing the right thing? Uh, you know, and is not deliberately putting her in danger and might later on protect her. The other thing that I think that occurred to me is if there is a conclave, will Octavia fight in it? Like, will we have a conclave that's like Octavia versus Maddie and Octavia has to decide whether or not to kill Maddie, in which case I don't think she could bring herself to. I'm not sure that that I'm not I'm not convinced that that would really happen. I don't think we'd actually get there. You know, I feel like that. But um, but it did occur to me when I when I looked at the description of 507 again and the, the first line, something like Bellamy and Clark discovered disturb something disturbing about one crew's battle plans. And like I had just been assuming all along battle plans meant against Allegius, But now I'm like. What if that's a misdirect and battle plans actually mean like conclave battle plans? And that's the, that's the sort yeah, of like, yeah, the thing that, that Bellamy and Clark learn next episode and then have wind up having to try to save Maddie from, you know, so like that kind of happens while other Legio stuff is happening elsewhere. But, um, but I do, I mean, I think I, like, yeah, I think we're sort of like meant to not know where Octavia is. At this yeah. Point. Yeah. I definitely think so. I think it's, and I, and I think it could, you know, I think it certainly could go either direction, but I do feel like um, I think whatever whatever we sort of end up learning, like however things kind of end up playing out about what side she's on, it's like it's going to be, you know, it's another lens into how how deeply the last six years have changed her. If a kid who you know, and she even acknowledges, like, spent a significant portion of her life in the exact same position that Octavia was in. Like, if Octavia, if Octavia is so far gone, you know, like, if, if Bloodrena has so successfully kind of erased 
the Octavia Blakeness of Octavia Blake, that she can see a kid who in so many ways is a smaller version of herself as like a threat who needs to be eradicated like that. So this is like my, my, my big kind of like, I guess, meta question for this season. And I'm really interested in what you think about, about this. It's like, do you think that there's any way, like any plausible way in the narrative that we get Octavia back? Because I really don't know. I was thinking about this. I was like laying in bed last night thinking about like, you know, six years. Like she, you know, she was 16 when we met her and six more years have passed. So it's like, you know, like a, a third of her life fully she spent being Blood Rainer, becoming Blood Rainer. Um, and, and that, like, like, I think the, the question of like, how how deep does it go? You know, and if it goes like all the way down to the bone, if she's truly at a place where she could, you know, where she could make the choice to kill Maddie or even just that she's so dehumanized that she can't, um, that she uses those similarities that she has with Maddie as a tactic to manipulate Maddie into trusting her, but she doesn't actually feel any kind of sense of like shared, humanity with her she's just sort of like a blip on the screen that needs to be like eradicated so she can keep her power i just wonder like you know what's like what's where do where do you take her from there like is there an ending like is there a way to sort of like uh, you know complete this arc and shift its direction that where she doesn't have to die like that i i i sort of yeah, I, I get I, really stressed about like I don't know, I don't know if there's another ending for her. You know, like I don't know if there's another direction to take her going into the next season. And I don't want her to die, but sometimes I'm just like, how do we, how do we, how do we like unblood Raina you? And I and I wonder if it's possible. Well, and this is why I think that Maddie will be the person who cracks through Blood Raina. I think, you know, we're kind of getting set up to see that. It won't be Bellamy. You know, Bellamy Bellamy thought that he could be. Um, and it's kind of proving wrong. And even, I mean, Bellamy still has a little bit of a toehold, you know, like she had that sort of reaction when she first saw him. And we see, I think, a little, she's a little bit, you know, she's she's shaken after they have that sword fight or they have that sort of like um sparring session um in this episode, which PS I need like five thousand more hours of Bellamy sword fighting. Um, oh my god! I, I could talk about the scene <laughs> for a million years. It was so hot and it was so great. I, we're gonna we're gonna have to spend some more time well, on that in a minute because yeah, I have yeah, lots we'll, of we'll, back, we'll yeah. come back to that in just a minute. Um, so so I think like Bellamy Bellamy has shown that Octavia is still under there. Octavia is still in there. You know, like she hasn't been completely destroyed by Bladrina. You know, because she he has those moments where he gets through. Um, even though she always winds up kind of coming back to Blood Rain and she always kind of reverts to that with him. But I think this kind of function to show us that she's not totally, she's not gone, you know, she's not like totally, totally transformed. So I really, I really think because I, I don't, I really don't think they're going to kill Octavia. Um, I would be very, very surprised if they did. And this really feels to me like they're taking her super, super dark and then seeing, you know, like, I, I, you know, I don't think Barisha's going to get, like, a 
transformation, you know, or redemption where she's like suddenly soft and fuzzy. But I think that, I think there will be like a turnaround, you know, like I think we're kind of like, like this is a dark night of the soul for Octavia. And it's, you know, mid season, we're hitting a super dark night of the soul. And when that happens mid season, it means the back half of the season is about how you come out of that darkness, right? Um, right. That's the hope. Yeah. So, and so I, I strongly suspect that the thing, well, there are two, two people that are going to wind up being key in that turnaround. And one of them is Maddie, um, because Octavia, I think, does identify with her, you know, and I think, I think if push comes to shove, <laughs> I don't think that Octavia would kill her. Um, I, I just, I mean, I don't really have any, like, it's just like a gut feeling. I don't, I don't, yeah, I think yeah. that's a line that Octavia would not cross. I could see her getting up to that line. I don't think she would cross it. Yeah. Um, I don't, and I also don't think that she would let Cooper cross it. I could see Cooper trying and I could see Cooper going yeah. rogue and saying like, I'm doing this for your, your own good. And Octavia saying like, you know, like you betrayed me and like, I am protecting this girl from you. And that being the end of Cooper. Um, so one of them is Maddie for that kind of like reason, because, because of all these sort of, because I think Maddie's going to start pinging the Octavia inside of Blood Raina more and more. Um, possibly even by sort of talking about Clark or sort of like making, pinging the ways that like her relationship to Clark is similar to what Octavia's was to Bellamy, you know, so there's a lot of like sort of, and then the other person is Indra. Um, and we know, we know from the trailer that there's a confrontation between Indra and Gaia still coming, um, where Indra says to Gaia, you know, real warriors hate war, which makes me wonder if that isn't, you know, I I don't know what that would be about, but maybe a a conclave or something if Indra is just sort of like, what the hell are you doing? Um, and we, you know, we got the setup with Indra telling Octavia that she loves her. You know, and kind of like pushing back against that love is weakness thing, which is I think the love is weakness idea is like, that's what's allowing Octavia to make decisions like allowing, you know, Cooper to kill some of her own people. Like she can't love individuals because that makes her weak. She has to have have this sort of detachment. And so I think those to me, those are the two characters, I guess, three with Bellamy, but really sort of more actively, I think it's going to be Indra and Maddie and then maybe eventually Bellamy and sort of her realizing like. You know, she loves her brother. Like, it's still in there. Um, forcing forcing Blood Raina to... Forcing Octavia to face herself. Um, you know, without the mask of Blood Raina. And make some different decisions. And, I, I, you know, it is hard to imagine what... And Octavia coming out the other side of Blood Raina is going to look like. And I certainly don't think, again, like, she's never going to... You know, it's not like she's going to be like, well... I'm done with being, you know, like dark warrior lady. I'm I'm gonna go frolic with the butterflies now. Um, but I don't know. On the other hand, you know, like there's a, there's some sort of resonances too. I think between like who Octavia has become and um, and the kind of darkness that she's able to access when she feels like it's necessary. You know, when she's pushed to it. Um, and the kind of like deep belief that she does have in, in justice and fairness and, you know, and like sort of doing what's best, what she thinks is best overall. Like there's, there's some kind of interesting, um, parallels between her and Luna, I think. Um, 
Where, you know, like, on the other hand, like, Octavia has always been a character of extremes, you know? Like, she's either, she's gone from sort of anti-violence to being Bloodrena, right? You know, and she's always, she's always kind of, like, black and white. Um, so, so we could hit another flip, you know, where she kind of has, like, a moment of reckoning and she recognizes, and she realizes she's gone too far and, and she decides she has to atone for, you know, like, the things that she had done as Bloodrena and... I don't know, you know, like <laughs> becomes a leader of the new flu crew in season six. Like, so I, I wouldn't, I'm like sort of, it's too early to rule out any possibilities, but I don't think she's going to die. I do think we are going to see some kind of turnaround and I suspect it will sort of circle around Maddie and Indra. I think you're right. I think that the, the, I, the Indra point I think is a particularly good one just because I think that's been, you know, it's been sort of set up, for us already, like we're already sort of seeding, you know, like a little bit sort of seeding into that, that she is, I think, like, I think it makes sense for who she's, for who she's become. If it ends up that like the, the person who kind of can really can get through to her and kind of like put those, those cracks in the wall, if it isn't Bellamy, actually, then that's kind of lovely. And I think, you know, like you said, we talk about like the ways that they've, they're subverting in this season and sort of deconstructing a whole bunch of stuff that had been sort of, um, built up and deconstructed in different ways in pre- previous seasons. And I think in this, in this season, in this episode, especially, you can see, you know, that the kind of like, we're hitting the Blake sibling part where it's like, they cannot be each other's salvation. You know, like Bellamy cannot be the person to save Octavia for all kinds of reasons. Um, you know, so, so it's not Bellamy. It's not going to be Bellamy. It's got to be someone else. And so I think, I think it's going to be Indra and Maddie. And then like, you know, and that, and, and that will facilitate a potential Blake sibling reconciliation. Um, but right, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, like Bellamy cannot through sheer force of will bust down that wall and get Octavia back. And I think he's finally realizing that, you know, when he comes out, of the room, you know, after talking to her and says to Clark, that's not my sister, you know, like it's hitting him. Like, okay, this is a, this is a creature that I, I I can't do anything with, you know, like I can't reason with her. I can't plead with her. I can't, you know, whatever. Like this is, there's just, there's no sort of path to success for Bellamy. So yeah. But, and I, and like you said, that is kind of lovely. I do like that. They're sort of, um, that they are sort of making a point of being like, this is this is the point where Bellamy has to let go and he's finally doing it. Yeah. I I felt like there was a lot in this episode for me um with Bellamy that felt very cathartic. I thought like yeah. like watching like watching things that have sort of actually and and like the I don't know if we want to hop over and we want to talk a little bit about the um since we're kind of already in that vicinity, but talk about the sword fight scene a little bit. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but I um it it to me it felt like um the the sort of long like ongoing kind of over five seasons sort of like all of these things that have sort of like been simmering kind of beneath the surface felt like like things got expressed. In like both sort of like physically and watching them like physically going at each other and in the things that they were saying, um, and and I feel like 
like it, it felt to me, it felt, it felt good in a way. It felt like sort of, or not good because it was so sad. But like, I guess like, like na- narratively satisfying to, to finally kind of watch Bellamy draw a line where that, you know, like, like in season one, when he, when he pushed back with Octavia, when Octavia did things that he didn't like, there was that kind of like protective paternalistic big brotherness to it where sometimes like you could understand why she kind of rebelled against the ways he was trying to control her oh behavior. yeah for sure yeah you know? yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. um and like even even when you're like okay like i understand where you're coming from bellamy you're a good protective big brother but also like you have got to chill you know like there was <laughs> like, yeah you could see it from both sides you know uh-huh. um and and in and so going from that like going from like you know, Octavia does a thing. Bellamy says, don't do that thing. The sort of season one dynamic of that, where it was much easier to sort of, um, to be on Octavia's side and to sort of like root for her to have that freedom and, and want him to be able to kind of like pull back. Um, you know, I think to me, one of the things that I thought was really, um, worked really beautifully about that scene was that, you know, was that it felt like, it felt like a little, I don't know how to explain this, but like, like, like six years away from her with, with the only sort of version of Octavia that he had kind of as like the sort of, the kind of myth of Octavia, right? Not, not the real person. Um, now he's back and he can see the real person that she is with a degree of like clarity imposed by distance that he didn't have before. And so he can, so when he's commenting on her behavior now and when he's telling her, you know, the like pushing her to be different now it has a completely different tenor than it did before when they were like so like so unhealthily close and so kind of tangled together that like he couldn't separate himself from her you know and so it felt like i think one of the really healthy things that this time jump has done for bellamy even though like you know like even like even though like, we're all rooting for like for a for this relationship to be healed and repaired and then to come back together again, but it was like he had to cut that cord, you know. Like he had he had to he had to have a breaking moment where finally he's like, I can't, like, I can't justify or or humor or indulge or cover up or support the choices that you're making, and I can't, and I have to like. Like, I have to let you know that I don't think the things that you're doing are okay. Um, and and doing it in a way that felt really different from when they had those things in season one. Yeah. And well, I thought one of the things that I thought was especially significant in what he said to her is, um, you know, at the very end when he said, I'm your brother and I'm trying very hard to understand, you know, who you've become in six years. And I'm just asking you to do the same thing for me. Because I think in the second half of that is the part that Bellamy's pre-time jump never would have said or even been able to conceive. You know, so like this, it's like a huge sort of development for Bellamy to be able to sort of recognize, you know, like, I'm trying really hard, Octavia, and I need you. Like, you have to reciprocate. You have to try to understand me. I can't force you to do it. The problem here is not me, but you. 
I'm doing what I can do. You are not doing what you can do. Right. And that yeah. kind this of This is how out, we have a relationship. Yeah. Exactly. That kind of call out, that sort of like, look, I'm doing my best, but you are not doing your best. Like that's the kind of like that, that to me felt like the biggest bit of growth in their relationship where it's just like, I wanted to like cheer, like, like, oh yes, yeah, Bellamy, you have finally broken out of your codependent bonds and you are able to say to this person that you love, yes. like, I love you, but you are not like, you're not doing what you need to do. And I'm not going to let you blame me for your feelings. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, yeah. yay! No, it, was, it was beautiful. It was, yeah, and and I was like, and I and I feel like, you know, I think one of the things that that they that I think is so beautiful about just the little, you know, like what we what, the sense we've gotten of um, how space crew has changed him, how his six years with these people have changed him, is that like those relationships that he had on the Ark and this like family that they built. Um, is like he's like the leader of this group, but it was like equally balanced and reciprocal. Like, you know, like, like, I mean, like Murphy, Murphy aside, I guess, but, um, <laughs> well, but like Murphy, even too, you know, like we saw that he, he still was like, he's the one who took him food and, you know, and like, and like, and like, you know, like wrestling him and trying to force him into saying, his right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, but, like, yeah, he can try to like self select out of it, but, right? Like, for Bellamy, it's like they yeah. all like that. That bond is really real, and you know, and between all of them, like that little God, like that that little Monty Echo hug oh, moment, man. About, oh my God, which is like my heart uh, grew three sizes and then it melted. I know, <laughs> it's like like what a what a like like how does a show keep finding new pairings to make me emotional? Over? I know, right? Like, I don't even know, you know. But, Although um, I was very like I was like it was like a high and then a low. I was like, oh, that's so wonderful. And then when she didn't hug Harper, I was like, wait, what? Like what? Yeah, I, what? I know. What? I was like Harper felt so weirdly grafted on to this episode. Like yeah, I was, was like, weird. I don't I don't know what you're doing here. Like was it just like, oh, we've gotta like stick Chelsea Reese in one more episode? But like she, like, she lifted right out. She had one I was yeah. like, okay, this and is I was like, why bizarre. Did you yeah. did you not script a hug? If you didn't script a hug, that's weird. Why did if you cut a hug like right. four seconds? Like Yeah. That, was, that yeah. just felt very strange. But anyway. Very um, yeah, I I continue to nitpick what they're doing with Harper or what they're, I guess, not doing with Harper. But, but yeah, but I think, but so, so, but in terms of Bellamy, it's like there was like, like he had, he had six years of building a, you know, a group that functions like a healthy family unit functions. Like, yes, like there is, you know, like he's the head of it. And yes, you know, like, at least one of his children is an occasional problem, but like, <laughs> but the the degree of like you know community and mutuality and um you know the whole group kind of coexisting and co functioning together like like a healthy family dynamic would have I think recalibrated for Bellamy how relationships work you know I think when like when his you know, his sort of first and and primary set of relationships with Octavia and Aurora, like, I I think, you know, I, you know, he's he's in some ways, like, kind of only just coming to terms with how deep that damage went, you know, where, like, one of those relationships was about, you know, an adult telling a child, 
you, you know, here is a set of adult responsibilities that like here's a newborn baby. I'm young. gonna become unconscious on you. Good luck. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good luck being a parent at the age of six. You know, like so. So that and 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 but he was like, okay, because when you're a kid and an adult tells you something, that you just do it and you take that in and it like sinks into your skin and it becomes who you are. And then Octavia both being dependent on and being resistant to that relationship. So, like, that was kind of, like, that was his concept of family. And, like, over the course of the year that they spent on the ground, with Clark, with the delinquents, with Kane, with all these other characters in varying degrees and in varying different times, he built, like, individual relationships that, um, that had a better, healthier balance. Like, he he developed that closeness with people. But, like, in terms of, of a a unit of family, you know, he has that now in a way where I feel like, um, I, I, I was, I was really like, I was proud of him for like drawing healthy emotional boundaries, you know? Yeah, like, no, exactly. I, like, and I, think, I was, I mean, I, I was proud of him. I, I was proud of him too. And I feel like he finally learned that he doesn't have to rip himself open to love people, you know, like, that that love doesn't have to be something that that hurts him and compromises him and forces him to be a person that he doesn't want to be and do things that he doesn't want to do. You know, like he's finally sort of learned that he can love Octavia and he doesn't have to shoot anybody for it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, like, right. You know, he's kind of like finally learned that he can have, you know, loving sort of family relationships that don't require him to sacrifice his entire self and his, you know, his, you know, sense of morality and, you know, and his, and that like, and every other, every, and everything else around him, you know, and he's, you know, he learned that on the ring, but I'm just like so proud of him that he's able to like hang on to that and, and like reinforce it when he's back with Octavia, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a really beautiful, like, you know, like, I think it's a really beautiful thing that, that we can sort of see as like an outgrowth of, um, the, you know, his, like, his relationship with, with Echo, like, I, I, I think it, I think it worked really nicely as, you know, like, when we were sort of, when we talked about, about that before, trying to figure out, like, what's the, like, what's going to be the, the, the plot-related reason why this relationship needed to be romantic in order to sort of, like, um, you know, to create the sort of, like, emotional stakes, like, like, what's, what's going to be the sort of, like, the plot relevance of, you know, of Space Becco in terms of sort of, like, the overall character development for both of them. And I think we really got that here. I think it was, like, he, um, you know, he was protecting somebody that he cared about, both as an individual and as part of this family unit, and and it gave him the sort of fortitude to draw a line where, like you said, like, he can, he can love Octavia and still be like, I, I don't actually feel emotionally obligated to, to, to take your shit, to choose you over me, and to choose you over everybody else. He could love Octavia and care about Octavia and still be able to say to her, it's not okay for you to tell me that, you know, basically, like, if you love me, I have to sacrifice this other person that I love. Like, you don't get right. to tell me. Yeah. You don't get to and force me to make that choice because, you know, you don't like her. <laughs> 
and and that and it's not okay to say you get to be absolved of everything that you've ever done bad in your life but arbitrarily selected other people that you don't like don't get that you know yeah yeah yeah, like when like when he says like okay like I'm making an effort to understand who this, you know, six year like, like, I'm really trying with you here, Octavia. It's not unreasonable to ask you to also try with me and with her. Like, like, if you can erase past versions of yourself and continually reinvent yourself in a new version... Why can't Echo? Like, why do she, why why do the rules only apply to you, Octavia? And I think that that's one of the things that is sort of a constant runner in their relationship in particular, and kind of who she is as a whole. Is like Octavia is a character who who always feels like she kind of gets to decide what rules do and don't apply to her, you know. And um, and she so like if she wants something. She goes after her. and it makes her like it makes her a great character. Like it makes her incredibly fun to watch. And there's times where, you know, where we're completely on her side with it, you know. Um, but but it is like but she applies it subjectively. And I and I felt like hearing Bellamy call her out for how she applies the rules subjectively and exempts herself from them when everybody else has to follow them as kind of a way to point out to her, like how much she's drunk her own Kool-Aid yeah, and come yeah, to yeah. believe in, in the myth of herself as this infallible godlike leader. I like, it felt, it, it felt like, like I like I know we're too early in this season for Octavia to be like fuck you're right I'm like <laughs> I I take it back you know um it's like it's like I knew like I knew it wasn't gonna stick um or it wasn't gonna sort of stick yet but it landed you know and and it felt and it felt satisfying to hear Bellamy say like I see you and I see what you're doing and I see you choosing to hold on to certain things from six years ago while expecting everyone else to erase certain other things because that's the setup that's most convenient for you. And I am just here to say, like, I'm going to not permit you to do that. You know, like, you can tell yourself that, but, like, I'm I'm not playing that game with you. You know, and, and I... Um, so just, just watching somebody, and he, I mean, it's like even the beginning of that scene, like when he walks in and he's like, maybe you should try fighting somebody who's not afraid of you. I was like, ah, this is already my favorite scene and it hasn't even happened yet. Because that, that <laughs> call out of like, like him, him flagging, like, here's the dynamic that you have with Cooper that you're not acknowledging that you have. Like, here's, yeah. here's the thing that you have with everybody else in your world is that they are all subservient to you. And you think of yourself as like, um, you know, like as as sort of hovering untouchable above all of these people. And I am here to like pop that balloon. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. You are still like, I'm not calling you blood Raina. I'm not yeah. kneeling in front of you. Like, I'm not bowing down. And that and so so just I'm just so I'm really interested in how, you know, as the season progresses, um, the role of Bellamy, both in like kind of like an increasing political danger to her because of his escalating refusal to, you know, to buy into that myth um, and to 
publicly treat her with that deference when she's already like increasingly destabilized in her kind of hold on power. Like he's a, his refusal to like kneel and call her blood Raina and, you know, genuflect to make the sign of the cross makes him like an escalating threat. But also I think how does that, like, I guess, like, how does that shake up her blood ness and also her Octavia-ness to see Bellamy looking at her and being like, I'm not okay with this person that you've become, you Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it, like, you can see it does get through to her occasionally when she has, like, kind of, like, register moments of doubt or at least pauses where it's sort of, like, it does hit. Um, I was going to say, I do, I also really, really love the kind of, like, um, very subtle, maybe not even intentional, um, sort of like callback to, uh, Clark's day trip, Jake Griffin hallucination. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, forgiveness is not about what people deserves when Bellamy says, you know, like we've all done things that we shouldn't be forgiven for, but we are, um, you know, the kind of moment where he's like, and I love that he didn't he didn't kind of give in to her, you know, he didn't like, he didn't allow her to set the terms of the debate, you know, he, or he didn't allow her to debate. He's not like, I'm not here to say that what she did was okay. I'm here to right, say. Right, exactly. Like. That is in the conversation. I, that is in the conversation that like, we've all done shit. Like, you know, and, and I, I sort of like that. I, it was like, it felt like a very meta, like that whole conversation felt like a very meta moment, you know, like it kind of, like it felt like. <laughs> maybe because it like sounded like you know sort of like fandom debates You're right. <laughs> being spoken aloud or whatever but but um <laughs> but you know like it was I, I also really like that I thought it was like a very very subtle but revealing moment for Bellamy as a character also kind of giving us a window into um you know how he's changed and, and how he kind of came to terms with himself over the six years you know to kind of say like you know like you know because like in that moment it's like when Bellamy says that we all think about the mass, the army massacre, you know, that he helped Pike with in season three. And, you know, this is kind of a, a window into a moment of seeing not just how Bellamy managed to, you know, forgive Echo after, after three years, but like how he managed to forgive Echo, but also how he's learned how to forgive himself, which is to say, you know, like he's done things that are unforgivable, but he's forgiven because because that's what you got to do. Sometimes you have to choose forgiveness, um, you know, to be able to move forward to kind of like be able to hold your family together, which I also think is like a, is like an interesting little sort of subtle call out to one crew too, because one crew is sort of built on this idea, like no crime is forgivable. You know, like you fight in the, in the, in the um, arena. And if you win, then blood Raina decides whether you're absolved. Right. But like, there's no, there's not really a question of forgiveness and Bloraina can decide kind of arbitrarily not to let you off the hook like she did with Kane and make you fight again and again and again. You know, so like the thing that's missing from Bloraina and from one crew is forgiveness and that kind of like that sense of like forgiveness isn't about justice. You know, it's about, it's just about itself. You know, it's about letting go and, and sort of like moving forward and privileging people and family and sort of relationships and what they can be over what they have been, you know? And so, but, but like for Bellamy to say that I thought was like a really, again, it was like something where I was like very proud of him. And it felt like that gives us an idea of like, what has Bellamy learned, you know? And like, what has he learned about himself and how has he learned to kind of like live with who he is and what he did um, and the guilt that he felt over those years. I just, I just love, I, 
I love this iteration of Bellamy Blake so much. Like I like I can like I can hardly contain my emotions. <laughs> like like I I know because me I, too. I, like I feel like he's finally like he's um like in, in Sarah, our friend Sarah was talking about this. She was like tweeting about this earlier today. Like just like like watching, and I think it's like it's for all of them, but like for Bellamy in particular, like like watching these characters like have evolved into adulthood is incredible. Like, like Bellamy, like Bellamy is an adult. Bellamy has like, like he is, I mean, he was always like, he was always older than the kids, you know, like he was like, he was always an adult compared to like, you know, like Jasper, who was like 15, you know, but, but like, but the, the, the kind of maturity and emotional stability, like the, like, like, not to be too like woo woo, but like the work he has done on himself, you know, like he like <laughs> Bellamy, like Bellamy has done his work, you know, like like, like he had he had access to the full arc library of self right. books, and he read them. Right. <laughs> he did. Like it is like I am like I'm just like I feel like like I feel like he is a real person that I know who had that like therapy be breakthrough you know like yeah, I'm just yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm so proud of you and you know and I and I think <laughs> and I think what's really like um what's so well realized about it is that you can trace back um the you can you like you can look at this version of Bellamy and see the way that like lessons people have tried to instill in him for better or worse, like have have landed. Like you can see, you can see Clark's influence. You can see Kane's influence. You can see the sort of the negative influence of um, of leaders like Jaha or like Pike in in the choices that Bellamy has made to not be a leader who leads like that. You know, to be somebody who like you know, includes everyone and gives everyone a seat at the table. You know, the difference between the way Octavia treats one crew, you know, like the way like Octavia treats Kane in the bunker versus the way Bellamy treats Murphy on the art, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like yeah. The, the way the Blakes handle dissent in the mm-hmm. ranks, you know, mm-hmm. um, Bellamy, is and, where Bellamy is like, I will aggressively love you whether you want me to or not. And yeah. Octavia and, is like, and Octavia okay, is like <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't care how hard you tried to be my dad. I'm going to chop off your head with my actual sword myself. That's how mad I am, you know. Um so I just so I just love like um I I love the 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 capacity that we are seeing that he has for um empathy and compassion and forgiveness in a way where he used to be, you know, like, like also like very reckless and very like, you know, us versus them. And he sort of started out with like, you know, he, he cared only about Octavia. Yeah. Or like how he said to Clark in season three, you know, in the, in the, the beach scene, um, forgiveness is hard for us, you know, talking about Octavia. Yeah. I think that was, yeah. really, you know, that was really true for Bellamy for, like I think you know, it started to change in season four, but it was really true for him for a long time that forgiveness was really hard, and and self forgiveness was really hard, which is why he always like he and Clark always were sort of like they needed each other to forgive each other. He needed Clark to say I forgive you because he couldn't forgive himself, you know. And so yeah. like, I think one of and the he things that he sort of internalized like he... and learned, yeah, 
Like, I think, yeah. you know, with Clark, Clark being dead, you know, sort of he internalized the sort of lessons about head and heart. I think, like, that kind of shaped him as a leader. But I think also kind of her being gone, he had to internalize the part of Clark who was like, like, Clark isn't there to say you're forgiven. You know, like, he has to say that to himself. So I think that's all right, the right. sort of, like, the way that he internalized the kind of, like, the memory of who Clark had been to him, you know, when he still thought that she was dead. And that's become a kind of, like, inherent sort of, like, deep part of who he is now. Yeah. And it's also how he... I think what's really beautiful about that is it's like that's a like that's a lesson that he needed to learn and a thing that he took inside and that made him uh like both like a better leader and a more kind of emotionally like balanced and healthy and stable person but it's also what he's modeled for all the other people like it's that's what he's modeling for Echo is like you know like it's important to you know, to, like, forgive yourself, it's important to have a group of people who are gonna, like, like, what one crew is for Echo is what Clark was for Bellamy, to say, like, like, you're forgiven for the things that you did, like, who you are doesn't matter here, or who you were doesn't matter here, like, the things that you did, like, we, like, we all, we all did shit, you know, and what we're, and we're making, we're drawing a line and saying, you know, from this point on, like, the shit we did in the past, that's in the past. And what matters now, like, when he says, like, you know, when he tells Octavia, like, Echo proved herself on the ring, like, that's him having drawn that line and saying, like, all of us did shit, and, you know, and and we can all either continue beating ourselves and each other up for it forever, or try to move forward and build something stronger, and that's what they did. And, um... And I think it was harder for some than for others. You know, like for Monty, I think that self-forgiveness was very situational. Like he he can be okay on the ring because he felt like he's not going to have to be that guy again. And now being back on Earth and being faced with the same kinds of moral choices, I think for Monty, there's a fear of like, were, was that change and growth permanent? Or was it just kind of like, well, I'm safe from those circumstances up in space, you know? Um, so So I think it is like, it is... Not everyone sort of, like, took it in all the way down to the bone the way Bellamy really clearly did. But that's the kind of, like, leadership that he was modeling for everybody. And that's the kind of partner that he was to Echo and the kind of leader that he was to Echo before they were, like, a romantic thing. But, like, this is the way that he's, like, trying to live his life now. Not just, like, for himself, but, tr- but like, help trying to help everybody else get there, you know? And, um, and that means that he can't... Um, he can't let that sort of sense of kind of inner stability and balance that he's finally found, like, that he's not willing to um, let Octavia take that away from him and, like, put him back in a position where it's like, no, once again, I need you to sort of put your own emotional needs, like, you know, subsume them in what I'm going to tell you to do, you know? Um, So I just, I really, it, it, it feels like this is a permanent and authentic change in Bellamy, you know, like soft bearded space dad with his mug. Um, <laughs> but, but not in a way, it's like what I loved about, you know, like, like the juxtaposition of like, um, that, that kind of warmth and empathy and balance and that, you know, that self forgiveness that we've seen him exhibit, um, you know, the sort of the space dad kind of version of him, like, but that side by side with like, you know, like watching him fucking like sword fight, like watching him be the one person who can <laughs> beat Octavia. Yeah. You know, it was like, 
Like, I mean, aside from just the fact that it was hot, which it obviously was super hot, and I'll turn the floor over to you for that in a minute. But, um, <laughs> but also, but just that, like, that he, um, that he has become a person who has that kind of sense of inner, like, stability and calm and self-forgiveness and all those beautiful things without having actually lost any power or strength. Like, it doesn't, like, like, it's a... Like there's, there, it's saying something really interesting that I I don't quite know if I have the words for yet about masculinity and the way softness and strength can coexist, like the way like love and power can coexist without one thing being diminished. Um, that I that I just feel like like, and he's he's always been a really beautiful kind of test case for like pushing boundaries of how masculinity is depicted on screen. I think because everything is very like because he's just an emotion driven person. Um, and those emotions like live right on the surface, you know, I think like I've always, yeah. I've always loved that yeah. about and he Bellamy cries and the way a lot. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's so family centered, you know? Um, so like, so like, I love that in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I, I love, I love seeing that in a male character in a male protagonist and a male protagonist of color, like everything about it is wonderful, but I love, like, I just really, I think. I think what they're doing with him this season in giving him that kind of like um, head heart balance and groundedness without in any way um, making it seem, you know, making him making it seem like that made him like weaker. Like it just like it. it yeah. He's such no, a, I mean, he's he, so did, he hasn't lost his, edge. his own power. Yeah. 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 And I think and the other thing, I mean, like to go back to to what I said before about like. You know, the fact that we do see Bellamy in, you know, we have we have moments where he is willing to sort of cross some lines in order to save the people that he's prioritizing. You know, like he's willing he's willing to do some stuff that Monty is uncomfortable with kind of morally because he's like, I got to get my ducklings all back in one place. I am right. My right. Goddamn mind. You know, like, yeah. So, so it's not that like I really like that because it's like. Because this is a Bellamy, he's not, he's not perfect. You know, he's not a cinnamon roll. He's not like making the best choice in every single moment. It's not that he is suddenly like sort of morally, you know, unbesmirched and is the, you know, is only makes the most moral decision in every moment. Like he's still, he's still willing to make compromises. And that I feel like, um, you know, kind of like th- that lends dimension to this new Bellamy you know, and like you said, and he hasn't lost his edge in terms of being either either in terms of like being able and willing to make those kinds of of decisions if it's necessary, um, or in terms of like you know being able to fight. Like he's still a badass. He can be sort of like right, exactly empathetic and soft, and like you know, <laughs> and like try to make Bert Murphy say his like say his affirmations and his self love <laughs> statements for the day. You know, he can be that kind, he can have that kind of like softness and still be a badass, you know, like those two things are not mutually exclusive. Um, and the other thing I think, you know, I've seen like here and there in various things, you know, like some, some people feeling like this Bellamy isn't clicking, like it doesn't feel like it's, you know, it's really Bellamy or it doesn't really like track or just like, you know, there's like a little bit of sort of like pushback or sort of people not quite liking or getting this Bellamy, um, at least, uh, you know, among like 
the Bellamy slash Bullock fandom. And honestly, like, I'm with you. Like, I, I disagree. I think it's very, you know, like, they're doing it with a light touch, you know, like, which I appreciate. You know, they're not banging us over the head with, like, speeches about how this is how I change, you know. Um, but, like, for me that there's, you know, we get those kind of, like, grace notes, those touch points. You know, like, when he says to Octavia, we've all done things that we shouldn't be forgiven for, but we are because, you know, because we're family. Like, he's talking about himself as much as he's talking about Echo. Like, that is a huge, oh, yeah. that is a huge character moment for Bellamy. You know, not, not as a, not as a Becco moment. That's a huge moment for Bellamy as a character, you know, like independent of his relationship either with Echo or with Octavia. That's Bellamy sort of revealing something about him, about who he is now and like what he's learned to become who he is. Um, but I think like the sort of moments where like, you know, that moment where he's like, I will give up these one crew people who want to defect to Octavia. If it means that I get you and me and Harper and Echo on that ship, so we are back in the same place with Amori uh, and Murphy and Raven, and I can have all of my people, you seven people who are my people in one place and safe. Like, to me, that is a very, very powerful, like, like that is the through line. That is the baseline Bellamy. That's how, like, to me, that's the point where I was like, aha, that is... You are still the Bellamy that we knew in season one. Because, like, the thing that has always been true of Bellamy going all the way back is that, like, sphere of caring thing. Like, it started out all he cared about was Octavia. And he would do anything that he had to do to protect her. And then that kind of expanded to to be the delinquents, you know? He cared about them. Like, they were his, they were his little ducklings. Like, he would do anything to protect them, to sort of take care of them and make sure that they were safe. Then it became, you know, Sky Crew. So now... Now we see like that's still true. Like that core trait of yeah. Bellamy oh, yeah. that he has is sort of like his like core set of people and he will still sacrifice himself. And he will still sort of like sacrifice his soul in terms of doing things that he feels and knows aren't right to save those people. He will do it. You know, he doesn't want to do it. He's more aware, you know, of like of of the cost of it and he's and he's he will fight a lot harder. He'll work a lot harder to have to, to avoid making that choice. Like he'll go to a lot of trouble to try to talk to Octavia, to get her, you know, to talk her out of things. So he doesn't have to make that choice. He's not as impulsive as the old Bellamy used to be, but that core, you know, at that core, Bellamy will always make that choice. And this Bellamy will make that choice too. He just is going to like look around more, think more about how not to make that choice before he gets there because he has more, he's not just heart, he's more head, you know? Um, So like, yeah. So to me, like, I love this Bellamy and he still feels like Bellamy and I can see, I can see the way that he became who he is now. And I can see the way that he is still himself at his core. Um, and, and I kind of feel like I don't, I wouldn't want any more, you know, like I wouldn't really, I wouldn't want it to be any more heavy handed than it is. I think it's right. Right. I think it's just very well done exactly as it is right now. And I love it. So <laughs> I totally agree. I think, I think it's a, um, I think if they if they made it more, um, like if they if it was more sort of being illustrated for us and like over speechifying, like here's what I've learned about myself over the past six years, <laughs> then it would sort of be like, okay, you're trying too hard. But I, yeah, but I agree with you, and I think I think the thing that's like the big fascinating shift, like you said, like it's the that kind of fundamental Bellamy protectiveness trait 
is manifesting in the exact same way that we've always seen it before. The big difference is this is the first time Octavia has been on the other side of that line. Exactly. And that's why it feels like, whoa, what are you doing? But it's like, but he's the same. She put herself over there. Like she, she became a person who he couldn't include in that family group. Like I, like I think, you know, I think there's a part of Bellamy who would have loved to like, you know, like he was so driven by the desire to, get back to Polis, open the bunker, and get his sister back, that he was willing to, you know, make the deal that he made with, with Tioza and with Eligius. Um, well, and he I'm broke sure the rule when they were back on the him. ring. You know, when, when the, the scene where he, he said six years, seven days, you know, like, he's been counting. And yeah. he will break yeah. the rule of not saying exactly. it because he's so, he was so fixated on getting back to her. And I think, you know, he is reeling because the reality of the dream, you know, the reality and the dream are so far apart. And that's yeah, for yeah. Him to kind of like reconcile. But like when push comes to shove, the big change is he's going to go with Space Crew and with Echo and not with Octavia. That's why it feels huge. But it's just a, it's a shift of who he's prioritizing. Right. But it isn't a shift in him, like in in how he how he, you know, behaves as a leader or his sort of like innate essential self, like like his his kind of fundamental Bellamy-ness. Um, the trait has not changed. The shift is in where those lines are drawn. And and that is as disorienting for us, the viewer, as it is for Octavia. Exactly. Um, and I think the other intentionally, shift Intentionally, like it is... Yeah, 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 for sure. It's definitely supposed to be like, wait, what the fuck? What? Like, where they're both a little bit like, right, wait, right. what did you say? <laughs> like, wait, what? Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think the other big shift, you know, the other one that probably feels, makes it feel like there's you know, like a big change. And it is a change, but I think this is the other way that it's kind of registering, especially among Bellark shippers would be my guess, is that um, Bellamy is making decisions without Clark. Um, you know, like all this stuff, all this, this sort of scheming that he's doing um, about the ship, like, like Clark is in obviously like that initial plan of Monty's. She was in, she was there for that plan. Like she came in with the group when they made that plan. Um Everything after that, all the permutations of the plan after that were made, you know, among Bellamy and Echo and Monty and Clark wasn't around. And so we get to the end of the episode, you know, and they've made this sort of like these big decisions about Echo's going to fake defect and the rest of Space Crew is going to stay and Clark has decided to leave, um, you know, independently of each other. That's a huge change. You know, in the past, Bellamy and Clark would never have made those decisions without consulting each other. And again, you can, you can see them kind of like registering that shock and discomfort, you know, like when Clark goes over to talk to him um, and she's like shocked. She's like, she's like, Echo is, is defecting. And Bellamy's like, oh no, 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 no. Here's the plan. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm leaving because your sister is dangerous. And you can see the sort of like shock and dismay on Bellamy's face. Like he just assumed and she just assumed. And then they're kind of like faced with this moment of like, oh shit, you know, like we are not on the same page. And it's very, it's uncomfortable and it's startling. And I think it's meant to be uncomfortable and startling because it's showing us, you know, like what this is showing us is that these are two characters. Like clearly they still, obviously they still care deeply about each other. We had several episodes that kind of like showed that, um, you know, they still kind of like feel a lot, you know, a certain, uh, you know, closest to each other. And they still sort of click together very easily in, in those kind of like crisis moments. But at the end of the day, it's been six years, you know, like they don't know what happened to the other person. They don't know the full story and they do have 
different centers of gravity now. You know, like Bellamy's center of gravity is space crew and Clark's center of gravity is Maddie. And all of the decisions that they make rotate around those centers of gravity. And so now they're at odds in a way that they haven't been before. Um, you know, but it's like, but like, and like you pointed out earlier, I think that's another one of those things where it's like, it's not like Bellamy, Bellamy tried to talk to Clark a couple times, you know, like, and she kept that center of gravity kept pulling her away. It's not as if he was blowing her off, you know, like anybody was intentionally blowing anyone else off. It's just that they were sort of like on different tra- trajectories. Um, and, and, you know, that's, I think is like, that's setting something up that they're going to have to confront. Like, Bellamy and Clark are still in the same place, you know? So, like, they're going to be confronting this issue and sort of, like, dealing with this, like, who are we now to each other, I think, in the next couple of episodes. And it feels very uncomfortable right now. It feels weird. You know, it feels off. And, I, I again, I think that's intentional, you know? And it's not – to me, that – to me, like – Bellamy is still absolutely Bellamy. You know, for all the changes that he's gone through, he's still Bellamy. And Clark is absolutely Clark for all the changes that she's gone through. And I don't think any of this is a reflection of, like, poor writing or, or, or you know, anybody acting out of character. I think this is just – this is, like, revealing to us they are who they are, but, like, circumstances have changed to such a degree that – how they're going to behave and what they're going to decide to do is going to be very different than it used to be. And everybody, everybody, viewer and character alike, are trying to figure out how to deal with that. Exactly. And I and I think that it's like, when it feels destabilizing, I think it's important to realize that, like, that's... Is that your dog? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He has allergies, and sometimes I think, like, his throat is kind of itchy, so he has these fits where he just, he makes that noise. Oh, my God. I was like, what the hell is that? (laughs) Oh, my God. Metastation uncut. (laughs) (laughs) Revel as my dog makes disgusting Uh. noises. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but I don't care because that was that was completely worth it. <laughs> it's like who is um, snorting? <laughs> um, you were saying something about like oh, uh, oh oh the deliberateness of the sort of like oh yeah of discomfort yeah. or off balanceness. Yeah, like I I think um, I think there's a lot of really nifty things happening this season. Like we and we sort of talked about this a little bit like right at the beginning um, in terms of Nyla and stuff. But like I think. I think this is a great example of the really cool thing that season five is doing, which is like, oh, so like you, you thought you knew where all the lines were and who was connected to who and how all these relationships were sort of set up. And now we're going to like completely pull that rug out from under you and reshuffle everything. And so I think that, you know, I think that us seeing like all the ways over the course of this episode where like, um, like Clark and Bellamy were just not on the same page. You know, and, and, and that doesn't mean they will like never again be on the same page. Um, but it does mean that like, we're, you know, like we're, we're heading into like mid season now we're in the, like, everything gets worse before it gets better phase of everything, of every storyline. Um, and, and the, the, um, the blurb before 508 just came out and it was something like, um, it was something about like Clark and like Clark Clark does something to save Maddie and puts Bellamy in an impossible position. You know, so like so we're still we're still in this space. We're still in this like 
um, everyone has kind of competing agendas sort of thing. And then, and then next week's episode, um, I forget what it was, but it was like, whatever Echo is going to do jeopardizes Echo's relationship with Raven. So like everything is kind of like, everything's in flux now. And yeah. Um, and everybody is sort of like coming up against the realization that even people that they were sure they would always be on the same side, they would always have the same priorities. They don't anymore. Yeah. And I think that, I think what's, and we're even seeing a little bit of that, you know, this is something that's been, um, you know, a, a much, um, much uproar and, and anxiety in the cabbie fandom over the little <laughs> snippet of, uh, 507 that we got in the preview with, you know, Abby kind of like having a little bit of like a sort of emotional meltdown moment. I suspect because like, I think what happens is she loses, she loses one of her religious patients that causes the net to tighten with Dioza. You know, they're only, they're only alive and safe because of the presumption that Abby can kind of solve whatever this, you know, find a cure for this virus. And if she can't, then like everybody dies. Um, so Abby kind of freaking out and having her like, you know, like I did everything I could and Kane saying it wasn't enough, which, which out of context sounds brutal and you're like whoa yeah quick. yeah <laughs> what, <laughs> what the hell fuck, man dude <laughs> yeah why would you you know but um but in so like so that's a so this is the context it was just like that like that's really mean dude that's but way like, harsh also, <laughs> that was way harsh chai yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> but like but but first of all there's a number of different things that could refer to where like like, we don't know the context of, of why he's saying that. There's potentially, like, there's lots we don't know about the dark here. There's lots we don't know about, you know, what she what she has or hasn't been doing to kind of try to, like, kick this addiction. Um, you know, so so there's... But I think, but again, like, that that kind of our perception going into this season of, like, you know, like, Kane and Abby, stable relationship. Like, things are fraught, but they are, like, a unit, you know? And then all these different things sort of being introduced to sort of, like... Um, you know, McCreary and Dioza separately kind of trying to like pull them apart a little bit and the sort of manipulations going on. So I think that there's like, you can mine a lot of really good drama out of, you know, taking these relationships that we're kind of hardwired to believe are um, unchangingly stable and just shaking them up a little bit before everybody kind of finds our new normal and settles back down again, you know, which Kane and Abby will do, which Clark and Bellamy will do, which I am still hoping that Bellamy and Octavia will do. Um, like, I don't think, I don't think that we're meant to believe where anybody started is where, is where they'll end up. And, yeah, and no, the exactly. best example of that in this episode is Murphy and Amori. Yeah, Like, exactly. we're already getting steps towards that for some of these kind of shakeups, you know. Um, but so I just, I think it's really, I think it's keeping things really you know, really dynamic. And I, and I love the new kind of shades of all these different colors of those different characters that are being brought out by, you know, like who, who is a version of Bellamy who has been kind of emotionally liberated from the pressure of having to, um, protect Octavia from her own bad choices, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, like all yeah, exactly. all the mental space that is opened up inside Bellamy for other things <laughs> with that huge piece of his of himself being removed. And I'm just imagining him up on the ring being like, I have time for crafts because I don't have to work about the Like he's learning how to I can, knit. I can l- take up a hobby. Yeah. He's like embroidering. <laughs> Scrapbooking. <laughs> Suddenly, he has so much leisure time. 
for. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Macrame. Everyone has like yeah. friendship bracelets up on the ring. They have like yeah. eight friendship bracelets. <laughs> Like, Bellamy, I literally cannot bend my elbow. I am covered in friendship bracelets. You need to stop with the macrame. <laughs> and he's just so excited. He's like, I can, like, I can just sort of think. It's like, sit and contemplate life yeah. and stare out the window. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because his full-time job... Because he's no longer like his full time job is not keep sister from ruining everything. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, on Earth, smash cut to Octavia ruining everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so cool. We have fun. Um, (laughs) uh, We brought up Murphy and Amori. Do you want to talk about Murphy and Amori for a moment? Yeah, let's do that. Um, I, you know, okay, Murphy, Murphy's making it hard for me right now because he persists in being such an asshole to Maury. I'm like, I like, and I, I ship the Maury. Like, it's not, you know, not like OTP, but I like, I like that couple and I'm, and I, you know, like watching the scenes where she's trying, especially the one in that where they're in the pod and she's trying to fit to remove the collar and she like screws up and he like knocks the tool out of her hand and is shitty to her again. I was like, buddy, I want to want you to get together. I wanted it and I want to keep wanting it. And you're making it really hard. You're making it really yeah. hard, buddy. <laughs> Cause in this Big moment, mood. I'm just like, Imori, just run for it, girl. Like, fuck him. Let him get grabbed. Yes. <laughs> Seriously, seriously, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the, the thing that is that has been a really, um, a really wonderful surprise. I think over the course of of this season so far, is um, the the joy of seeing um, who Amori is centered in her relationships with other people who aren't Murphy. Yeah, and and her ability to. Um, like even even though like this is sort of our 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 deepest look we've gotten so far into the reasons why their breakup happened, um, a, but I but I think her ability to recognize that like, um, you know that that it was a a thing happening in him like she didn't do anything wrong you know like she did not like all all she did was realize that there was more to life than being an outcast. And that she wanted that, and that she wanted to have a family, she wanted to have a community, she wanted to have other relationships, and he couldn't deal with not being the most important person in her life. Even though it was, like, Raven, like, even though it wasn't, like, a romantic and sexual threat, she wasn't, like, cheating on him, you know? Yeah. Um, It it was just, like, the idea. Yeah, it was the idea of, like... That's the part where I couldn't, I can't get over it. I'm like, your boyfriend is mad because you have a friend... You fucking yeah. run for the hills. Like Right, right. <laughs> like yeah, that is like, bad. <laughs> it's no, that's not okay. It's, no. And, and it's not and it, like it isn't you know, it isn't romantic, it isn't no. charming. No. It isn't, you know, it isn't the kind of thing where you should be like, Oh, that Murphy, you scamp. You know, like it's it's it gets very close into like like I think um the I, I'm not like like it's like I like I I I love Mori I, I love their relationship together I'm not like super deep into like the Mamori fandom so I don't really have a sense of like like a good read on like what's kind of the 
the discourse around this. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. I do feel like it's, like, I think we have to have this conversation very carefully where, like, um, there are, like, there are things that, like, you know, like, like Murphy's always in sort of a character where, like, um, you know, because he's, like, funny and lovable, we're all willing to gloss over a lot of terrible stuff and he remains a fan <laughs> favorite. Right, and, right. But, and, I, and I feel like, like, hardwired into the... Like, the more that we learn about the dynamics in their relationship that led to this breakup, the more I feel like it's not that I don't want them to get back together at any point, but it's like, we have to have a real-ass conversation about this creepy, territorial, um, you-can-only-be-my-person thing that is sort of being hinted at under the surface as like his problem was a refusal to share her like yeah even even yes. platonically like even even not even in a context where there was any kind of a threat to their relationship it was just like like i'm used to you being only mine so you can be only mine and it's like that's what's wildly not okay and i'm glad like i i like it, it makes me really happy that they the way they've been handling it, like that they gave her yeah, all the, the age, like she broke up with him, to the and show's she credit, calls him out on all this bullshit. Yeah, to the show's credit, it is it is absolutely portrayed as that was bad and and toxic and unfair to Emory, and she recognized that, you know, and she rightly broke up with him, you know? And so, and so I do, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I I do think that the, that the show is definitely sort of like, this is a problem that Murphy has, that he needs. Right, right, exactly. You know, like, Amori's problem is that, is that she still, she still loves him. You know, he broke her heart. She still loves him. She still cares for him. But the problem is that she recognizes her worth and her needs. And she's like, I need to be a part of, I, you know, I was part of something bigger than myself, she said, and I cried. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I like that. She's like, she recognized, like, I need to be a part of a community. Like, that is, that is something that is like an emotional need that I have, that I have the right to claim, and you did not have the right to do what you did to me, you know, to punish me. Like, she says, you punished me for that. You know, she tells him that that was wrong, and... And like, and like you said, she gets total agency in that, you know, like she broke up with him, she gets to tell him, you know, so I do think to the show's credit, like, I I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like saying like, oh, oh boy, are they romanticizing this? Because they're definitely not. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that what this means is like, Murphy's journey is going to be that lesson, you know, like learning. Yes, I think so. I think so. Learning for himself how to be a part of a community. Because that was the sort of source of the problem, right? Is that Memori, I always do this. Imori had become a part of, you know, this, this kind of, this family and she loved it and she thrived in it and she recognized, you know, that it was something that she needed. And Murphy was offered that and there's like that, there's that thing inside of him, you know, like Richard calls it that kind of like vial of poison. That, um, you know, that made him sort of like push back against it and reject it um, and try to pull Imori into rejecting it too. try to separate her so that he wasn't alone in it, you know, um, which again, I mean, and that is something that is very real. Part of the reason why my sort of 
my like, oh girl, no, you know, sort of like, I don't know, I don't know, if, I don't know if I can forgive you for this one. John, reaction to the that moment was so visceral is because that's so real, you know, because yes, like, because we I all know we've all watched that relationship play out absolutely more than once. We've all known people who are either on one or the other side of it. We've all watched friends, you know, try to extricate themselves from that. You know, like this is something that feels you know, in a lot of ways, like, more emotionally real and closer, like, kind of hits closer to home than some other stuff. I have, like, I've never been bombed, you know, like, <laughs> I've never right. lived, I've never, you know, like, lived in a society where, like, justice is meted out by gladiatorial combat, but I've definitely, like, witnessed that relationship. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, so I think that's why it feels like that, that visceral and, 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 you know, Murphy feels like a very, that's like a very real thing. Like there are, you know, like I've known people who, who have that kind of like sort of what I like metaphorical poison, um, inside of them. And so I'm really hoping that like, like you said, like, you know, this is episode six out of 13. We're not quite halfway where, like you said, you know, we're at the point where like we're in the rising action, right? Like, if, if you're looking at like a sort of like the classic plot um, uh, diagram, you know, like we're past the inciting incident. We're not quite to the turning point. Um, we're in the, the rising action. And what happens in the rising action is that things get worse and worse and worse and more and more complicated. And, you know, you're sort of like trying to inch towards resolution or like the turning point towards resolution. But every time the characters try, you got to throw another sort of um uh obstacle in their way. And so so this is a point I think in this story where it's like we have to, we get we finally get the story like why did they break up? This is why. It's because of this conflict which is really an internal conflict of Murphy's that has caused external conflict with Imori. You know, but like I think hopefully what that means is that you know Murphy is going to have to sort of resolve that internal conflict that he's going to have to figure out. How do I learn, you know, not not to like share Imori, but how do I learn to be a member of a group? How do I learn to accept being accepted, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then when he does that, then, you know, then that then he's going to it's going to be possible for him to, you know, like return to Imori and maybe they can have a healthy relationship where she has freedom to have friends and he he, he isn't like trying to make her be his entire world yeah i i think i I, and i feel like that's something where um i i agree with you i think i think the direction that i that i think slash also hope is where is where his arc is headed is to is to find find a way or ways where um where he can kind of do more of what he was sort of starting to kind of demonstrate with when he decided to stay behind with Raven, where it's like watching him, like watching him kind of expand his circle past Amori, like, like fighting for the rest of the group, sacrificing himself for the rest of the group, making choices that are for the, the betterment of all of them um, in the way that Amori has been doing and, and having it come from a place that has actually nothing to do with, her like nothing to do with like trying to impress her or show off for her or make her take him back but because like he wants to and a place where i'm really interested to see what happens speaking of the vial of poison um so and also speaking of places where my 
my expectation of where I thought the story was going was completely flipped on its head, um, is now, now they have McCreary hostage. So, so in terms of the violet poison, here's where I think the flip could happen. Like I, you know, I, I think, I think putting Murphy in a position where like, he is the captor and McCreary is his prisoner. Is he going to be sort of tempted to, um, you know, like, like, is he going to sort of be put in a position where he's like, like, am I exactly the same as this guy? Like with, with McCreary at his mercy, is he going to do to McCreary what McCreary did to him? You know, is he going to let himself like, you know, because like he's angry and he hates this guy and this guy was torturing him and is also like a super huge danger to like their group safety. So the temptation would be very real for Murphy to become the kind of, you know, violent, abusive captor, you know, with the shot collar button, um, towards McCreary that McCreary was to them. And I think, you know, I think Amori, Amori would want to like utilize him tactically, but not like hurt him just for the joy of causing pain. So part of me sort of wonders like if the, if the place where that sort of, you know, I'm you, but in different circumstances, or I could become you, you know, that, that sort of thing that everyone's been kind of hinting at as part of Murphy's story and Murphy's connection with McCreary if this is how that comes about, if it comes about because of this sort of power flip where suddenly Murphy can, if he wants to, go all the way to that place and become that person and he has to, and the only thing reining him in is his own choice. Right, exactly. It's sort of like there but for the grace of God moment for Mur Murphy, you know, where he kind of has to stare into the abyss and make a decision. Like, is he going to... Is he just going to say, like, fuck it and go all the way? Or is he going to be able to pull back and sort of recognize, like, this is this is the tipping point. I could be that person, but I don't have to be, you know? Um, yeah, which would be great. I would love that. Yeah. And he's got to choose it for himself and yeah. not choose it for Amori or, or under pressure from Amori or because that's what he thinks she wants. And I think that if he reaches a place where he can do that, I think that's... Like, I think that's the sort of the, the watershed moment for him. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. Um, okay. I got to start wrapping up in about next 15, 20 minutes. So let's, um, shall we talk about <laughs> the third rail of this episode? <laughs> okay. First things first. I, you know, Echo is one of those characters that... There's always been so much potential for her, you know, and I've always I've been like interested in her and and curious to see what they were going to do with her and sort of like willing to to be invested in her um, if they would just give me more kind of like more of a sense of who she is since we met her in season two. And I have to say, like. I'm so happy with this episode in terms of being the episode where we finally got that. Like, I, I like, I am ride or die for Echo after this episode. Like, I love her so much. She got to be so smart, you know, like, she was so savvy and so cunning. All of that background, everything about who she used to be, you know, like, as a spy. And then, like I said, also as sort of like as Rowan's and Naya's political advisor, you know, her ability to kind of like, read a political situation, you know, look at the position that Octavia is in 
and recognize all the moving pieces. Like, like Echo can look around and recognize, like, Bloodraina is in a perilous political position, you know? Like, she can recognize, like, Octavia is, is struggling to hang on to control, you know? And she's making power plays. Like, Echo sees that, I think, in a way that Bellamy can't. Echo sees that Octavia's mind is not on what's best for her people in terms of, like, food or not shooting them in the back, but on what's best in terms of, like, what's the power play here? What's the thing that I have to do to sort of consolidate her position and her authority? Um, You know, so just in terms of, like, them organically kind of building an episode to be the kind of, like, the episode that, you know, a little little bit of, like, an Echo Showcase episode that that is, like, really, like, here's a situation that is like tailor made for the special skills that she has. Um, but then again, also kind of giving us those moments where we get to see how far she's come and how she's changed in six years. Where like the echo of, you know, the echo of season four, like she cheated in the conclave. Um, she broke rules that she know that knew that she shouldn't break, you know, that she knew it was dishonorable to break because she so desperately wanted Rowan to win, you know, because she didn't want herself and every single person in her clan to die in prime fire, you know, like, um, but she was willing to kind of cross that line. You know, we saw her over and over again, I think in season four, kind of like doing things like even, you know, killing Octavia, was she killing quote unquote, which she did sort of, she didn't want to, you know, like she, she was trying to take Octavia without a fight. Octavia wouldn't let her, you know, like we saw that that was, that was not something that she wanted or felt good about, you know, but she kind of like previously had been swallowing that stuff down. And so like, think that, you know, like I like this, this is an episode where we got to see her kind of like trying to like struggling a little bit with those sides of herself, you know, where like she recognizes a moment, like she's in a position where like Octavia is, wants to banish her. So that means she has to find something that she, she and only she can offer to Octavia. And the answer is be her spy. You know, and that means doing what Octavia wants her to do, you know, like get intel on Octavia's own people, deliver it back to her, you know, knowing that like, <laughs> that you can't, you know, trust Bloodraina with what she's going to do with that, you know, so you see her kind of being like, all right, this is the thing I've got to do. But then like sort of also reaching a point where like, this isn't the old Echo anymore, you know, like she's, you know, like that, the kind of like the, the, the political instincts and the spy instincts are still there, but she has that. I was going to say she has a conscience. She always had a conscience, but now she listens to it. You know, that like the the part of her has like learned how to pause and go, okay, I can do this. I don't want to do this. What are the repercussions of not doing it? Am I willing to accept those repercussions? Okay. Yes, I am. You know, like she's sort of able to pause and realize like there's what the person who's sort of like the leader right now wants me to do. And there's what I feel okay doing. And she's going to decide on what she feels okay doing and not what she feels obligated to do. Um, You know? And, and so, and so like, that was just like such a, such a nice piece of growth, but you know, and, and still, but like not giving up, you know, like constantly being like, all right, what, but like between her and Bellamy, like what's another plan? What's another plan? You know, she's like, I got to turn myself in. And Bellamy's like, what if we turn the tables again? You know, like, what if we defected? What if we offered an alternate plan? Like, you're actually the solution to this problem. It's not perfect, but we can get you out alive. You know, like, we can we can continue to kind of, like, play play Octavia based on, like, the fact that she needs someone with your skills and explain, you know, convince her that she still needs you, that you're still an asset. Um, so, like, I loved all of that. And I loved get to, getting to see her kind of, like, be that sort of, you know, badass 
Um, and then like, of course, the like the bit at the end where she hid her the the yes thumb inside oh that was god. I mean like again like speaking of like you know she's softer now like she has a constant she said she has that kind of like more softness than we never got to see that sort of softer side of Echo <laughs> um with apologies to Sears um before um you know but I, I do love at the end it's like she's still fucking ruthless you know like she's still yeah. like this is gonna hurt you know like i'm gonna shove this thing into your open wound person that i just met and was kind of using for cover uh <laughs> you know and like and i love that like satisfied little smile like when she pulls it out again that little smile of like you can see a little bit of her sort of being like oh yeah back in my element you know like the kind she's of satisfaction. still got it yeah exactly yeah. she's like haha i pulled that over on you you know so like like that was great and like i love i i felt like i I feel like for the first time i really have a handle like i know who echo is you know like i have a much deeper feeling for an understanding for who this character is you know now and so like i've always kind of felt like i'm like i'm like neutral towards echo just waiting for you to give me reasons to you know to love her and be more invested in her and now i'm sort of like yay you gave them to me okay i love her yes yes exactly can't wait to see her struggle (laughs) with like her conscience and her war with her love for space crew and for raven versus what she you know what versus what echo the spy sees is the 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 most advantageous the most strategic thing to do like yes down for it awesome (laughs) i think a lot of the um like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the same with you. Like I, I, you know, like ready, like, like ready to love her. Um, I didn't, I didn't have, you know, she's, she's one of the characters in the show, I think sort of similar to, I felt kind of the same way with, um, with Nyla where like, I didn't, like, I didn't feel super strongly about them in like, in the seasons where they were like introduced and then like we met them at unity days and i was like okay well like i adore you like i adore you as a person so now i'm just like i'm you know like like way more invested in the characters after i met (laughs) jess and tasia and i was like you are adorable and i love you um but yeah but but not like not one that i had sort of particularly super like super strong feelings about in season two like like you're interesting and i want to see where this goes um you know and 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 certainly like liked her more last season when she was kind of getting more stuff to do um but but uh, yeah, I feel like I, I think this this for me on like a number of different fronts. Like this was kind of the episode where it was sort of like, um, like you said, like all of the all the sort of things that they've been building towards with kind of the full picture of of who she is, like who she is as a spy, who she is in relationship to all these people, who she is in relationship to what what used to be Ice Nation and is no longer. Um, her, you know, including sort of like the, you know, the ghosts of Roan and Naya and the kind mm-hmm. of, um... Excuse you, ghost of Roan, he's still alive <laughs> down there and will right. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, riding Helios. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Through the wasteland, yeah. Um... <laughs> You're right. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I implied that he was dead. He is not dead. He lives forever. What if um, the radiation, like, mutated him, and so he merged with Helios, and when he returns, he's a centaur? Yes. Ooh, right. love it. Love it, love it. Yes. Um, <laughs> then he never has to wear see? a shirt. He'll be so happy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Perfect. Season six. Free idea, Jason. You're welcome. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, for me, I also felt like, like you were saying, like this, this episode was the kind of like the perfect convergence of all of the different um, facets of Echo into, um, 
it's sort of setting up, like teeing up, I think, what um, what we're going to watch her arc be over the course of the rest of the season in terms of the role that she's going to play in the kind of overall, the chess game, you know, between, between Dioza and Octavia. Um, and, you know, and really... You know, letting her both be be valuable as a spy, you know, in the kind of, um, you know, tactic strategery that we see, sort of see her. Like, even even Octavia can kind of acknowledge, like, all right, you're you're an asset that I'd rather have working for me than against me. Like, I, yes. I still don't mm-hmm. like you and I want to murder your face, but I will, <laughs> I'm willing to hire you if you'll work for me. You know, like I, like even Octavia with like the depth of her <laughs> rage is like, all right, like what would you do? You know, come like be on my side and I'll let you back in. Um, so I feel like that's really interesting too, sort of setting up like is, is, is Echo, I think m- much like Abby going to end up in a position where, um, the, the, where she's being asked to use her skills in, you know, in defense of something she doesn't want to do in order to kind of stay alive and maintain her place and where those ethical lines drawn. You know, I think there's some potential really interesting sort of parallels being drawn in the positions that they both could find themselves in. Um, But I also really loved us getting to see a couple of different um, facets of how um, just sort of like reminders of how important she is as a person to these people. You know, I thought that was really, I thought that was important too, that sort of side of it. You know, like the moment with her and Monty, obviously all the stuff with Bellamy, like, like as, not just as a spy and as sort of like a really important chess piece, but like as a human being that she matters so much. Yeah. Thought, I thought, that was really important too. I th- and I thought that was one thing that I really liked about this and I thought worked well, um, in this episode, like in terms of, you know, we're talking about before I sort of waiting to kind of like understand, uh, like, you know, what's the, what, why did, why, why was having romantic Becco exist like a thing that mattered? And I think, you know, one thing that worked really well for that is that you kind of foregrounding that relationship, you know, like foregrounding the fact that, that Echo has become this incredibly important person to Bellamy in particular and space crew in general like that really kind of anchored all of that political machination plot in emotional character stakes. And that's something that I feel like has been, the show has been a little bit hit or miss with that in the last, in like seasons three and season four, you know, like, and I think especially in season four, there are a bunch of places where it's like plot is kind of happening constantly and sort of like the, the sort of more emotional stakes um, were a little bit glossed over. And, and I think this is a place where it's like, Previous seasons, I could see this episode being made where it was entirely about the kind of like political machinations, you know, and kind of like skipped over really anchoring what those machinations mean to the people that we care about. Um, and in this episode, you know, like that, the, everything was anchored, you know, emotionally, like for Clark, all that stuff, like, you know, the, that Maddie is, Maddie is a political chess piece to, a lot of people to Cooper, to Nyla, to Gaia in a different way, you know, but she's just kind of a chess piece to Gaia, to Octavia potentially. But she is the person that Clark loves most in the world, you know, like she is the person who is sort of like driving Clark's actions and decision making in this episode, you know, so like everything, all the sort of like political machination stuff happening around Nightblood and Maddie and what she and what night, you know, Maddie being the last two Nightblood means is anchored in those emotional stakes between her and Clark. And for 
for Echo and Bellamy and Space Crew, all that stuff about, you know, like, we have a pro- the problem is that they have an eye on the sky and they can see us and they're dropping things on us. And like, this is a huge sort of political problem for, for Octavia. And I think, you know, Octavia kind of going so hard on Echo and, and banishing her in that moment. Like, to me, like the way that read, um, is like, you know, Octavia was reacting particularly harshly, um, to Echo in that moment because it was a moment of public political weakness because she's walking around and her people are looking at her and they're doubting her and they're doubting her, um, her, uh, uh, authority. Um, and then Echo shows up and is a reminder, like, not that she doesn't hate Echo and she doesn't hold a grudge because she does. But I think in a different situation, if it wasn't public, you know, if she wasn't feeling weak, I don't, you know, I think those are important factors in why Octavia makes an example of Echo. That's really what she's doing. She, she, she takes Echo as an occasion to sort of assert her power as Blood Reina. Um, which is why she's sort of willing to like back off on that when she realizes later that Echo is useful, you know, because it's mm-hmm. like, but she backs off privately. She doesn't yeah, have, yeah, exactly. And insofar as, you know, there are personal stakes and she kind of has it out with Bellamy, I think, you know, that is not that that isn't a part of it, but I think, you know, it's as much about the political side. So like, there's all this kind of political machination stuff happening around, you know, Echo being banished and spying and so on and so forth. But like, we never lost sight for a moment of the repercussions of all of that for those people, you know, for the fact that they love each other, you know, that Bellamy just wants all of his people in the same place and safe that he, you know, that he, that he cares about Echo and he, you know, and he doesn't want her to put herself in danger. He doesn't want her to, you know, like sacrifice herself for him. He doesn't want her to die. He doesn't want her to to put herself in danger if she can help it. You know, he doesn't want her to be cast out into the desert to wander alone and he won't let it happen, you know. And the fact that he loves her so much, you know, and that the rest of Space Crew loves her so much that they will all leave the safe place to go like literally wander in the desert or throw themselves on the mercy of Dioza, you know, who they hate even more, distrust even more because they care so much about her. Like all of these decisions, all of this sort of like, we have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing to find a new plan is based on this, um, on, on these sort of like, on these relationships and these emotional stakes where they have, that they have for each other. So I think, you know, having this, this kind of be like the big Becco episode where like so much of what is happening for Bellamy is revolving around his, you know, his relationship to Echo and his feelings for her and their relationship to each other the point of it is that it's letting us, you know, helping us understand this is, this is what is driving these characters now, you know, like this is what these events mean to them emotionally. Like this is, this is sort of like, you know, and, and, and helping us kind of giving us an anchor to like Bellamy is thinking about these people first now, you know, not his sister, not these other people. So it kind of gives us that, like that, like anchor in things. Um, And I will, you know, like as far as like, shipping stuff goes. I mean, um, I, I will cop to like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a multi-shipper. Um, which means I don't, you know, like I, I, when I have an OTP, like when I have, a, a, you know, a set of characters that I'm pair of characters that I'm really, really invested in, I'm not somebody who's sort of also like, well, they're my main thing, but I also like these two together and these two, you know, like I don't, I'm sort of like very monogamous in that way. And so, um, so, you know, when Bellamy kisses someone else or has a sex scene with someone else other than Clark, or when Clark kisses someone else or has a sex scene with someone else, 
Um, it's not a super comfortable experience for me, you know, like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't naturally like love it. Um, you know, I kind of get like a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling in my stomach and that's something that I just kind of have to deal with. And I wish it weren't true because if it weren't, because if I, if I didn't feel that way, then I would have a lot more fun. Um, but like, despite that, I think like, you know, recognizing that that's true and that's, that was happening for me, I think all those moments still really worked, you know, like, and it's one of those things where it's like, I don't ship Becco because I don't, we don't really understand how and why they got together. You know, like, I don't, I don't really understand completely why Bellamy loves her and not like Raven, you know? Um, and they didn't explain that. And they're not going to. So like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> you know, like whatever. But like, I think this episode did very much like I buy that they do, you know, like I, I do buy that relationship. Like it's palpable how much they care about each other. Um, and so, so that's something where it's like, okay, well, you know, it's not my favorite thing, but I accept it and it's real and it's, and it's like, you know, and it's something that like is clearly, I, you know, like I like both of them and if they make each other, they, they're good for each other here. So I'm cool with it. But that said, you know, I did notice that we got another Clark reaction shot when Bellamy and Echo are kissing outside of the tent and she sees it and reacts. And Bellamy and Clark are together in coming episodes. So I still feel like this is sort of building up to something else, you know? That's still my gut yeah. feeling. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's where I'm at personally with Becco. <laughs> I think I – th- I mean, no, I think that makes sense. I, I mean, I think I think it's really important – to I think it's really important to sort of delineate between like first of all like like what we what we we ship and don't ship is so personal and and it and it comes from places that like sometimes like we don't even necessarily like know how to articulate you know like I um like I like for me like as a you know like like as a gay person watching shows that have like you know queer female ships like that's not always like my OTP on a show necessarily like I I part of me feels like I don't like maybe like is it supposed to be like I'm not like I'm not like a bad gay you know but like like what we like what I like I always like the parents like the parents are always a crap but that's just like that's my thing I don't know why that is but like like it's just a it's just it's just it's just personal you know and um like I like I am a total multi shipper. You are not a multi shipper. One is not better than the other. They're just like they're like subjective. Just like they're just like different. They're just they're just different, you know. And and so I I feel like for me, I think something that's really important in like fandom discourse around ships is is to be able to sort of draw the line between um, you know sort of the personal like dislike of a ship versus also being able to sort of look at it as like okay but like the story that's being told like the the you know the work that the writers and the actors are doing the piece of art that's being created that we're all consuming here um exists on its own as sort of a separate thing from what I do and don't ship about it you know and and so to be able to kind of like like have a conversation about like does the Becco in this episode work? Like apart apart from shipping it or not shipping it, but like as story, let's talk about it. You know, I think like I think it's really important to be able to have um, to to understand that those are separate things, which I think is why like I think these conversations are really important. Like there's there's nothing wrong with 
shipping Becco, you know, for all for all the reasons that like you know like the Bellamy articulates to Octavia about like forgiving Echo for the things that she's done in the past. Like if you ship Becco, it's not in a an endorsement of the bad things that she has done. It's you know at the exclusion of every all the other characters. You know, like it's not. Like, it's not saying, like, it's because she's a good person who never did a single bad thing. Likewise, if, you're, if you don't ship Becco, it isn't in any way saying that, like, you're bad for not liking this character or bad for not wanting these characters to be there. Like, it's just, like, it's like shipping is just personal. But I think that in terms of, like, I think in terms of what the story is doing, I think it works really well. I think that it's doing a great job of creating a much deeper investment in her as a person in her relationship with Bellamy and her relationship with the rest of the group and amping up the stakes. I, I I agree with you. I still think that like, I think the direction that the narrative is headed is still the direction that we always thought the narrative was headed in terms of like, um, you know, the, like, I, I don't, I don't think that this is something that's being set up necessarily to be end game. What I feel really good about, um, increasingly is that, um, Like, if that happens, like, that if they end up breaking up, that there's a way to do that that diminishes Echo in no way. Doesn't diminish her relationships with the characters, doesn't diminish her agency, and that we're getting an Echo who is so much more than just half of a ship that you either like or don't like. You know, I think that, to me, feels like the most important thing, is is that... She's getting a storyline where she gets agency, where she gets to be a whole person, where, like, the relationship is a piece of that, but that isn't why she exists in this story. So if the relationship ends, that does not end the reason why she exists in this story. And that, to me, I, I, would, I would like to believe that, like, whatever people ship or don't ship, that the kind of unifying thing that we all want is for Echo as a character to be more than that, you know, like, just like, 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 as, as women, I want a, I want women characters to exist to be more than a love interest. And I think that they're totally doing that. I think, I think Tasia is nailing every beat of her performance. I think she's turning an incredible work this season. Um, so, so yeah, so I think, I think that, that on, on a level of like, what is the show creating and what is the show want us to feel about this character and these people? I think all of that is working. And I think that I, <laughs> I would like to live in a world where, um, where what people ship and don't ship and how they feel about that stuff is not like where, where we all kind of come out of the understanding of that it is like, a personal subjective thing that is like you like we each have our own kind of unique experience with it and me feeling one thing doesn't mean somebody else has to think the same for us to like have a conversation about it you know because it comes from like a personal place that we can't always necessarily articulate like like sometimes you just don't like things and that's fine or someone's just like wow I'm really into this I don't really know why like I I don't you know like like, there's, like, I have weird side crack ships where I'm, like, I don't really know why I was, like, super into Abby and Major Burn, but I was, you know, like, it's, like, I don't know either, you know. Um, I'm sure there's some deep Freudian reason that a therapist could dig out of me, yeah. but I don't really want to go there. to know? That would just ruin the fun, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's leave that stone unturned. But, um, you know, but I do, but I do feel like, I, I, yeah, I just, I, to me, I think, um... 
I think that as long as we engage in these conversations with like, with respect for the fact that like shipping is subjective personal opinion. And that means that like, there is no hard right or wrong. And everybody, like we're all standing in a different perspective, bringing our own different kind of likes and dislikes and personalities and experiences to it. Um, And what's cool about this show, I think, you know, and, and why we're incapable of having a less than three hours conversation about it is because, um, there's so much going on and these characters are so rich and complicated and their relationships are so rich and so complicated and everybody has like electric chemistry with everybody else that like that like no two people in the whole world watch this show and see the exact same thing. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and something to be like celebrated as opposed to becoming a way that we create dividing lines amongst each other. Yes. That's I totally I agree. I totally agree. And you know, like if you if you feel that uncomfortable gut feeling, you know, watching one half of your OTP kiss someone else. Like, I get it. I completely get it because I feel that too. But I just, you know, I just, I try to sort of concentrate on like, that feeling is something that I experience as a part of who I am, you know, but, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily reflect, you know, it doesn't necessarily say anything about the text or how good or bad the text is. Like it just happens regardless, you know? Um, and, and it doesn't invalidate anybody else's feelings. And, you know, like you can have all the feelings you want and, and to some extent, you know, like what matters is what you do with them. So, you know, so I'll cop to just being like, I'm never going to be super into Becca because it's just not who I am. You know, like I'm never, I really, really like Echo. You know, I love Echo. I love Bellamy. I can see, I can appreciate what their, relationship does in this episode in terms of like giving you know emotional kind of relationship and character stakes and also giving you know opportunities for sort of like character development and growth for Bellamy um as well as Echo through the through the course of the episode I think you know like I think from a story perspective Becca does a ton of work that's really great um and you know in future viewings I'll probably skip the sex scene those two things can coexist. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. And, 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 and I can be happy for my friends who ship Becco and be like, yay, right. you get like sex scene gifts. This is awesome for you. Huzzah. I don't ever want to see them. And I don't, I will, I, I'm sorry. I can't fangirl with you. I just can't, but I'm happy for you. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, and I think, and it, and the other piece of this is sort of like, goes without saying that like, you know, that no amount of, of disliking a character or a ship justifies like harassment or shitty behavior towards either that actor or that actor's fans. Like, that's just yes. that is like that that's is the like beyond like, the pale. I can't believe we have to say this, but we still have to keep saying it, you know. Um Yes. Stay in your lane. <laughs> exactly. Feel your yeah. feelings. Yeah. But like you're entitled <laughs> yeah. to your feelings, but you're not entitled to make your feelings someone else's problem, basically. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Don't be Murphy. <laughs> Right. Yes. <laughs> Don't be Murphy. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I should wrap up because um, it's officially my bedtime. Excellent. Um, are we are we under three hours? We are. We are. Oh, we are. Two forty five. Go team. So <laughs> Uh, all right. Since we're not editing it, that's helpful. It is very helpful. <laughs> um, so the next episode airs on June nineteenth, and the title, I believe, is Acceptable Losses. Um, which is another one of those very terrifying titles. 
Uh, so we, we will be back with that recap in a couple of weeks. And I think in the interim, the Cabby Roundtable podcast will be going up somewhere in there. Yes. And then we have maybe we, we may have an interview going up during the during the week with no show. And we if we we will announce it on Twitter if we do. Yes, there's a possibility for we have we have several interviews that we're trying to kind of line up and get scheduled. We've got, I think, um, maybe four or five that we're kind of in the works on. And so we may have one for you next week. Um, dependent on scheduling. So we will try, we will continue to try to help you guys fill the show day shaped void in your life with new content. Um, so that you do not suffer. Yes. Um, we want you to have, we want you to have all the lovely things. Yeah. We want you to have one. <laughs> all right, everybody. See you right. next time. Bye. Bye.